What's going on guys? My name is Aldenero and welcome to another episode of my weekly podcast, The Midnight Hour. Feels very good to say that it's weekly. This episode is all about aliens. The human-centric assumptions we make about aliens and the fact that they're always going to invade us when they arrive, the types of alien civilizations that may exist in the universe, and the reasons why we have no proof of extraterrestrial life at this current point in time. We'll discuss pop culture depictions, the Kardashev scale, and the Fermi paradox. And in the spirit of Halloween, there may also be a terrifying tale in there too, to get you into the spirit of the holiday of the dead walking the earth, or whatever Halloween is meant to be about. I think I was out that day in school. My guest today is Dr. John Shanley, returning to the show after rave reviews were left on the consciousness episode we did. I think that was probably the episode I was the most proud of up to this point, and this one could justifiably be referred to as the best episode of the Midnight Hour yet, in my opinion. If not, then certainly one of the most interesting, because there are some mind-boggling facts dropped throughout this conversation, and it's the kind of topic that will keep you awake at night. You know, like if the aliens don't get you before that happens, obviously. As always, you can discuss this episode and anything relating to the podcast in general on the Midnight Hour subreddit, which is reddit.com slash r slash midnight hour. It'll be linked in the description on both SoundCloud and YouTube. And if you want to suggest topics or guests or leave any feedback whatsoever about the show, I am very active on that page and I really appreciate all of your comments and respond to pretty much all of them as far as I can tell. The SoundCloud link will be in the description if you want to download the episode and save it for a bus journey or whatever. Also, I have submitted the podcast to iTunes where it's currently awaiting approval and that's going to take an indeterminable amount of time at the time of me recording this episode. So keep an eye on there because hopefully it will be up and running eventually and if you guys do happen to come across the podcast on iTunes, I'd really appreciate it if you could leave like a good rating for it because I would really like for this podcast to expand much like the universe does every single day. But what does it expand into? Some say it expands into space, others say it expands into the ocean. We'll never know for sure, it's just one of those things. Anyway, enjoy this intro and enjoy the episode. Darkness falls across the land. The midnight hour is close at hand. The midnight hour. Creatures crawl in search of blood to terrorize your neighborhood. Stop! Will you tell these fools I'm not crazy? Make them listen to me before it's too late! Listen to me. Please listen. If you don't, if you won't, fail to understand, and the same incredible terror that's menacing me will strike at you! Stop it! Listen! Stop it! Listen to me! Listen! Listen! Listen to me! They're not human! Everyone! The midnight hour, the mid, the mid, the midnight hour is close at hand. They're here already! You're next! Power in the verse can stop me. 
It's great fun. <laughs> so thanks for coming back onto the podcast. Um, last time we solved the problem of consciousness, and today we're going to solve alien life or find alien life or determine how we will find alien life sounds good sounds good excellent so um ellen stofan who is i hope i pronounced that right she is the chief scientist of nasa and she claims that we will definitely have proof of alien life within the next 30 years so that's pretty amazing um and another thing that I read was that astronomers in 2013 from both UC Berkeley and the University of Hawaii determined that the amount of potentially habitable planets in our galaxy is 20 billion. And when I say habitable, I mean those are Earth-like planets that orbit their sun-like stars. So they're ultimately in the exact same position um, ecologically or whatever uh, as we are in the universe yeah wow that's so incredible that is fucking nuts to think about yeah and like the like hypothesis that within 30 years we'll have it isn't that like how can they know when they'll when they'll have it they're just like kind of hedging their bets i i guess it's just because um what they can observe in the universe and what they understand grows sort of exponentially it's that sort of um the technology isn't moore's law is the idea that technology gets um like it doubles every six years or something like that the power of computers and, and all of that stuff so i guess um when they talk about alien life they don't mean intelligent alien life they just mean you know some form of bacteria or something like that which you can imagine that would be the first thing that we would find like i don't think that the aliens are going to turn up on our door or above the white house um to announce themselves i I think it'll be that we find some microscopic bacteria um i i I wonder do they have an idea that they'll find that on mars or something like that like it, it doesn't seem out of the question considering we found water on mars yeah 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 totally um, like, I, I guess, yeah, it'll, it'll just be, the, it'll be the nature of what they find will be the most interesting thing, because as you say, it'll probably just be like, uh, what would be considered a bacterium or some sort of single cell organism, Yeah. but just sort of like the, the physical and chemical makeup of it could just be like something we've never, ever, ever seen before. Yeah. And that's the thing that I like to think about the most because, um, our perception like of aliens and alien life and what alien life would be like and all of this stuff comes from ultimately what's in the cultural zeitgeist like Mm -hmm. independence day and uh, those types of movies and ultimately you have to remember that those are plot devices or those are like things that are used to express cultural fear at the time like in the 50s all the aliens represented the fear of communism and social change. (laughs) In the 60s, they represented fear of full-scale nuclear war. Like, it it goes back and back and back. There aren't many examples of of, um, aliens in pop culture before the 1900s, and I guess that's because our knowledge of space was a lot more limited then. But the idea of this grey humanoid alien with giant black eyes and an oval shaped head (laughs) it goes back to the 1890s from a hg wells novel called uh, man of the year million and that's what he described was a gray skinned being perhaps one meter tall with big heads and large oval shaped pitch black eyes and that's pretty much followed on since 1893 as our 
like main interpretation of what we believe alien life will be like when it arrives here. Yeah, um, exactly. Which is preposterous, really, I think. Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, the chance of it being in any way similar to us seems to be completely negligible. Yeah. Considering how unlikely it was that we even existed in the first place, and yes. then just kind of the strokes of luck that led evolution down to the path of a bipedal mammal that's, you know what I mean, a, a vertebrate organism. Yeah, yeah. and it's, it's so interesting to me that so many people like 100% believe in this that, that that's what aliens look like that they're here already that whole idea that like these and they never have clothes what's that about yeah, yeah. <laughs> like do civilizations in the future just not I, I just I don't understand what them and like they've mastered you know Space intergalactic track. yeah but they haven't figured out that you're less likely to yeah <laughs> like it, yeah it's like they've no thermoregulation it's like they haven't encountered that yeah it's isn't it just the most human thing ever to imagine yeah. that aliens don't even have clothes like and they're and they're not even hairy they're like bald. yeah exactly it's <laughs> it's so like we've just decided oh yeah um aliens are just gonna be well like what do we know that isn't human well there's gorillas they're close enough to human but they're still completely alien yeah. in terms of they're definitely not part of our species so yeah yeah i guess aliens would just be like that except more close to human yeah <laughs> it's just such a preposterous notion it is it's ludicrous yeah yeah and we do this thing where if there's ever the concept of aliens who have mastered intergalactic space travel um and how how far your civilization would have had to have come technologically in order to master space travel and the ability to blow up buildings with the push of a button and uh, things like that. It's its really ridiculous to imagine a world where humans have any chance going up against <laughs> that. And, and it's always these preposterous notions like, well, aliens may come here and try and destroy our buildings, but, but they won't be familiar with human concepts like love <laughs> and, and the ability to fight and, you know, the bald American eagle and the Second Amendment <laughs> and all of these things that we think make us better than every yeah. other species. Like, it's it's whenever um there's a movie in in the same vein as the day the earth stood still or they live or things like that it's it's the aliens that have arrived they've infiltrated human society uh but they don't behave human enough <laughs> like because yeah. because they don't get love they're they're robotic they don't have like human emotions they're just animals um and that makes me think about how much we rate our consciousness without even being able to understand what our consciousness is like we just assume that these species would not be able to assimilate properly in our culture when like we can smear <laughs> ourselves in animal urine and infiltrate like a herd of hyenas and the hyena will not know that you are not a hyena like they're not able to tell like yeah it's it's they're just not capable of doing it despite how many hyena traits that human is lacking just the fact yeah. they've covered themselves in the scent is enough and yeah. we cannot imagine us as a species being below anything else on the food chain or the evolution chain or like we we cannot imagine that we are not the final form of our species 
Yeah, exactly. And it's because we kind of view every other organism off our own criteria for intelligence, which is supremely arbitrary and egotistical. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's it's like, so human centric. Like, Yeah, yeah. So we're basically determining how human like other animals are to determine how intelligent they are. Yeah. And of course, you humans are going to be the most human like. So it's just begging the question. Yeah, like like rabbits are really intelligent to other rabbits. But to us, they're just a, a, an animal that we could take or leave. Like it, it's completely inconsequential to us. Yeah. But yeah. we cannot imagine that that would be the case if it were reversed and there were something as dominant over us as we exactly, are. Exactly. Yeah. So we like, imagine that the aliens turn up. The first thing they're going to want to do is talk to us because we're quite clearly on top of the food chain. Not only that, though, it's the notion that we're special. Like, yeah, that there's yeah. something that that the aliens are going to be like. Well, we're supreme conscious beings, and clearly, <laughs> so are you. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, like, there's something in there. Like, as oblivious as rabbits are to kind of human manipulation and interference, equally, like our puppet masters, we could be as equally oblivious to them. Absolutely, and there is no reason to think that we wouldn't be because we've already exactly. decided. Uh, in these scenarios that the aliens like they have mastered space travel to a point that is actually unfathomable by like modern science standards like we cannot imagine being able to travel like close to the speed of light or, or anything like in terms of our ability to fly far and wide and things like that yeah the yeah. idea that a living specimen could master space travel to the point where they can arrive on our planet fully intact in the same form that they were when they left their planet. Yeah, yeah. And for them to care one iota about <laughs> what we have to get, like, it, it's ridiculous. It, it's like, it's even more um, ridiculous than the idea of us turning up in the Stone Age with an iPhone. Like, it would yeah. actually be even more ridiculous if aliens yeah. arrived here. Like the the type <laughs> of technologically advanced that they would be is is just we're, we Completely. we don't give them any credit when we imagine what they are. Yeah, they totally. Exist. Yeah, um, no, it, it, it's just ridiculous. And like, I guess, kind of with that train of thought, it would probably be good to kind of just describe like the scale of the universe the timeline and just definitely how, how hard it is to kind of get your your head around it because it's certainly when i was like kind of thinking about it and looking into it i found it so hard to wrap my head around the concept of something as big and vast and essentially timeless as the universe yeah so we all hear statistics all the time about how great the universe is in terms of its mass and to be honest with you if i were asked to regurgitate those statistics what i would be saying is it's fucking big like bigger yeah. than like you know uh, most things that we can imagine like bigger than the ocean <laughs> like that kind of like <laughs> yeah. so um give us a, an analogy that we can actually visualize in some capacity Jeez, an analogy i actually think almost in this case even an analogy would be insufficient like um, i agree i do agree yeah like when we think back to dinosaurs, I think kind of the T-Rex or whatever is about 63 million years ago, which is an astronomical amount of time. Yes. Earth is 4.5 billion years old. So you're basically looking at kind of, it's about a, what would it be then? About 100 times older than the dinosaurs. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, like 100 lifetimes. If you consider kind of from when the dinosaurs existed to now as one lifetime, 
an insanely long period, 100 lifetimes, that would be back, bring you back to how old planet Earth is. And to even consider the dinosaurs to here as one lifetime is still yeah. a ridiculous amount of time. That... It's absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, it's insane. Um, yeah. The, the scale of just how long the dinosaurs ruled the Earth for is actually mind-boggling as well. Completely. And if we compare kind of like we think now we're some like top apex predator, top apex species, the dinosaurs were around for way longer than us. They ruled for way longer. And we're not even a kind of a, a blip on the radar in terms of comparing ourselves to them. Yeah, but how many albums did the dinosaurs release? <laughs> not oh, many. You know, I think they uh, just uncovered one album there in Northern Africa. <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> Dinosaur uh, pop culture. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The the, and then they find out it was just a Mark Boland T-Rex record. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, okay, so another thing that I think is absolutely crazy is that 99% of all species that have ever existed are now extinct. 99% of every species. And for context, I believe that there are billions of species alive right now. Like, billions. Like, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. it's billions with a B species alive right now, of which we uncover uh, hundreds every single day new species are discovered. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's ridiculous. So, um, you were yeah. talking about hundreds of billions of species that have existed. Yeah. On okay, this so, planet alone. Yeah, exactly. So, we talked about if we consider one lifetime to be from the dinosaurs to now. 100 lifetimes would be the age of planet Earth. The universe is four times older than planet Earth. Oh, my God. So that's 400 lifetimes of dinosaurs to now. That's a really, that's actually a really good way of putting it, to say that, like, to ascribe this lifetime uh, amount yeah. to the... Yeah, so that gives you an idea of how... And, and that's, like... That, am I correct in saying that's just the observable universe? Like, that's just what we know about what we can see? That, exactly. That's our best prediction based on regression models. So basically when we realize how long it takes light to travel, and also then we can infer how far away something is, and I think they just kind of work back and back and back to a single point, yeah. which was essentially the, the point from which the Big Bang emanated. That's like the, the physicist's best estimate now, and yeah. 14 billion years old universe and obviously we are incredibly young in that sense we have existed this planet has existed for less than one third of the total universe's existence is that right um say that again the earth in, in t so the universe is uh, just under 14 billion years old and the earth is 4.5 billion yeah, years old. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, less than one third. Less than one third of the yeah. whole time that anything has been anything. That's what the exactly. earth has existed for. And yeah. to go even smaller again, humans have existed for it. It doesn't even, it does, it's a 0.000, it doesn't even come up on like a, a fraction that you can say out loud kind of scale. Yeah. Like it's, it's mind bogglingly little. Like yeah, we yeah, have yeah. been here for no time at all, just humans. Exactly. Um, yeah. It's taken us so long to evolve into what we have evolved. And how, how long have humans in our current form been around on the earth for? Do we know? It's, it's not really that long either, is it? No, it's it's not that long. I think it, it is in the, the, the scale of millions, though. I think the earliest hominids. I think we are around for millions when we kind of diverged from, I think, orangutans originally, and then kind of we separated them from others. So we're part of the great ape family. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I think it's about five million years wow. that we started, but like that was kind of the inception or the origin of the Homo sapiens as we know them. When did we stop being Liam Gallagher and become Noel Gallagher <laughs> <laughs> on the evolutionary scale? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, so that's just not really a significant amount of time on a uh, cosmological scale, I suppose. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and also, I just think it's really weird to think about all this going on with potentially nobody even observing it. Yeah. Like, these are just things that are happening in, like, all the splendor and glory that the universe can demonstrate and there's nobody there to even experience it for billions of years or so we think <laughs> exactly let's uh yeah let's find out during this podcast yeah that's right so um will we do a brief overview on the drake equation which yeah. is the an equation that comes up with how many sad songs you have to write about Rihanna before she becomes your girlfriend? Is that what it exactly. is? Exactly. Um, it's going to be the name of his new album, Drake's Equation, and apparently it's out of this world. <laughs> 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 oh, we didn't even rehearse that. That's amazing. <laughs> I have tickets to see Drake in February, and I can't wait. Um, Speaking of Drake, Drake and Josh was one of my favorite shows growing up. Yeah, it's crazy how he became a rapper and then a physicist. Like, I, I just think that that's really good. Like, like, well done him for doing that. So, um, and he changed his skin tone. Yeah, that that's incredible. Yeah. It's... Although, in, in fairness, of becoming a rapper and a physicist, changing your skin color is probably the easiest of those. <laughs> yeah. Like Michael Jackson did it with no trouble at all. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah. And he wasn't even a physicist. <laughs> but um, the Drake Equation was uh, written by a guy called Frank Drake in 1961, and he's still alive. Um, uh, just because, I, I say that because, like, oftentimes when you hear stuff like this, people go back as far as like Galileo and stuff like that, and it's hard to picture how recently we're talking about this um, this hypothesis or this equation or whatever. Um, so, like, some of the people that we reference will probably be dead, but. Um, uh, Frank Drake is not one of those. Um, <laughs> did you have a look at the equation and attempt to understand it from a, like a physics point of view or a mathematics point of view? Yeah, so I, I did look at it and I basically just tried to understand what they were factoring in in order to, d to derive a value. So basically yeah. the equation, obviously it's something equals something and the N is the number of civilizations in our galaxy with which communication might be possible. So basically some it, it, it's basically a number, and then after that, and that number represents um, the number of civilizations with whom we might communicate, and then after that they add in all the variables yeah. and try and work out, yeah, statistically and realistically what that number might be. So when we're talking about uh, civilizations that we might be able to communicate with, we are talking about built-up, advanced civilizations who have intelligence in the way that we think about intelligence as humans. Um, a sort yeah. of a, a self-sufficient uh, civilization, if you like. Like we're we're not just talking about little green men walking around or bacteria <laughs> or anything like that. We're like we're talking about built-up civilizations that we don't know how long they have existed for, but they are presumably in the same sort of uh, intellectual capacity as humans. I guess it's sort yeah. of hard to. And and it kind of starts off with like the kind of broad strokes. So like the first variable is the average rate of star formation. So obviously um, life initially requires energy and all energy on Earth 
originally came from the sun. So it seems as if the most kind of important variable at the beginning is star formation. Yeah. And then from that, it moves through things like then it obviously needs another planet because uh, the sun can't really support life. And then it moves on to uh, the chance of these planets supporting life and then the chance that it actually will develop life at some point. Yeah. And then it moves on to intelligent life. And then it kind of uh, whether it releases detectable signs, so kind of radio waves and that. And then like wh whether we'll be able to find these signals in space and the length of length of time that will take. Yeah, and people have tried to toy with the Drake equation to get more specific results on what we imagine, um, because I guess the main criticism of it is that it's conjecture. Um, but mm -hmm. we don't really have anything else to go by at the moment, uh, like in modern yeah. science, other than estimations. Um, and even when we estimate conservatively the number of planets that we believe may have uh, advanced civilizations is still a mind-boggling number am i right like it's still a ridiculous yeah. figure um yeah. what is it currently do you do you know like the amount of so like if we just take the milky way for instance yeah i think that a, a really uh good piece of information about the milky way is that for every grain of sand on earth there are ten thousand stars in the milky way yes and that's just the galaxy that we're in, not to mention the <coughs> multitude and myriad other galaxies in the universe. So there's twenty, or sorry, ten thousand suns for every grain of sand on Earth, and one fifth of those, they say, have like an Earth-sized planet, which is in the Goldilocks zone. And the Goldilocks zone kind of represents. It's kind of funny, like a planet that's not too hot, yeah. not too cold, but just right. Yeah. Yeah. So they say like one fifth of those. Um, have an Earth-sized planet, so it, like it's, it's just ridiculous. Like I think it's about four billion stars have basically a, an Earth-like planet. That's ridiculous. Just in the Milky Way. That is ridiculous. So... And if and if only zero point one percent. So if we are, if we stay extremely conservative and say one in one thousand of those had life, that's one million planets with life in the Milky Way. That is ridiculous to think about. Like, absolutely ridiculous. And that's being conservative. Yeah, yeah. That's just saying, okay, so one in every thousand or so have life. That's putting that's everything at million. the lowest possible parameters for what exactly. it could be. Like, to, in social science, for instance, statistical significance comes in at uh, 5%. So this is a factor of 50 below that. <laughs> that is insane. Yeah, one million insane. planets with life just in the Milky Way, and that's our galaxy, so the closest one to us. As a side note, how fucking weird is it that the bears were like, yeah, we're all going to eat the same meal, so therefore <laughs> we're going to get three different dishes, put them on three different stoves at three different temperatures. <laughs> the fuck exactly. Is, just, just have yeah. one big pot, and when it's cold, put it in the big bears thing. Like, yeah, no, it, it, and, and also, um, those bears were just about to die out as well. Um, <laughs> good thing Go Go Goldilocks came and gave them their first nourishing meal, <laughs> which unfortunately was herself, but I just feel terrible for the dietitian who gave those bears dietary advice. Absolutely, yeah. Like, they, they should be out of a job. It doesn't get acknowledged in pop culture. It's another thing that we leave behind like the same yeah. way we treat aliens as you know uh destructive overlords we we don't think about these bears and the nature of their cooking skills <laughs> exactly um, 
So should we talk about the Kardashev scale? Because yes, I think yes. when we talk about um, specifically uh, planets that we could potentially communicate with, it's important to think about what those planets might be like. And the Kardashev scale was... Um, made up by a guy called Nikolai Kardashev, who is also still alive, and he's currently the chairman of, like, a space committee in Russia that is not too dissimilar to SETI, which is uh, Carl Sagan's Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence, I think it stands for. Cool, cool. Um, so that's what Nikolai Kardashev still does. Um, and this his, his model has three different types of civilizations and what he imagines them to be. Um, it's It's very, very... From type 1 to type 2 is an absolutely massive jump, but it's supposed to demonstrate just what we might be looking for, what like a ballpark of what type of civilization might be able to communicate with us in our uh, galaxy, understanding, yeah. uh, well, keeping the, the Drake equation in mind. So, um, Kardashev thought... Uh, if we're going to be looking for signals, we communicate with things like lasers and radio waves. Um, so what exactly are we looking for when we do it? Um, so on the most basic level, what we define life to be is like a sort of a process for energy. Um, and energy is like a fundamental thing in what we define life as. So every living thing has energy in it. It's um, something that we believe uh, to be consistent throughout the entire universe so um he defines type one civilization as a civilization that has managed to harness the energy of its entire planet um which is very difficult to uh, see us doing but it's not difficult for us to perceive because we're currently on the um on the kardashev scale humans are ranked as a 0.7 so we're mm -hmm. harnessing a lot of energy from our planet, but not all of it. Um, and I think it's important to mention that it, on the Kardashev scale, if you're harnessing all of the energy from your planet, you don't have to be doing it by one particular method. So you can use like fusion power, hydroelectric, uh, solar power. Mm -hmm. You can use all of these things as long as you're harnessing the full capacity of your planet. Um, things that a type 1 civilization might be able to do are basically like be able to stop earthquakes or control the weather or um basically anything that is internal to the planet itself are things that we can control so we would never um have a natural disaster inside of the earth ever again if we were a type one civilization because that's the amount of energy that we'd be harnessing and that's the power that we would have yeah um, and I think I remember uh, hearing somewhere as well that within the next couple of centuries, we'll actually move our way up to uh, kind of ob obtaining a one on the, yeah, the score. It's, it's, yeah, uh, it's estimated. Uh, Kardashev himself, I think, said that it would take over 100 years. But I think the most recent estimation was from... Uh, I don't know what the guy's name was. Was his name James Wright uh, in a... Um, a blog he's he's a physician uh he's one of the leading physicians and i don't even know if that's his proper name <laughs> but um he said 300 years and i think most scientists are sort of leaning towards him but either way um estimations from really important and intelligent people place us somewhere between one to 300 years before we reach type one but it's possible and it's something that we can see as long as we don't destroy ourselves along the way yeah yeah um so a type two civilization is able to harness uh, 100% of the energy from a star. 
So that's like us using all of the energy from the sun, uh, which is an absolutely ludicrous notion for us at this current point. Because I think I think when the sun shines towards Earth, which is all the time, I don't know why I said that. It's such a ridiculous thing to say. Um, but I, I think we only actually even get 25% of its energy or something like that. So um, I'd say much less. Yeah, I, I read a quarter, but I think that was a sort of a ballpark, or not not a ballpark, but just an example of how, well, there's no point in us even imagining it, because at the moment we're only getting like a, a quarter. But Because if you think about it, like the entire other face of the sun is facing the other way. Yeah, so that's 50, I, like 50% at least. When you think about the size of the Earth compared with the sun, it, it doesn't make any sense that it would be as high as 25, but... Um, but yeah, I, yeah, yeah, it, okay. I mean, the sun is so big, so maybe that is, is a factor, I'm not too sure. Yeah, yeah. But um, either way, uh, the idea of us being able to harness 100% of its energy is, is uh, an insane yeah, uh, yeah. notion and Kardashev himself reckons it will be 3,200 years before a type 1 civilization could reach type 2 so basically 3,500 years is what yeah, we reckon yeah. it will be um, and surely we'll have annihilated ourselves by then um, <laughs> yeah. do you want to talk about how a civilization might harness 100% of the sun or do you think it's too sciencey because it's even it, it's a it's a thing called a, a Dyson sphere or a Dyson swarm and I couldn't even attempt to wrap my head around that as a concept like I can understand it and visualize it but I just can't see a situation where we could ever do that at all yeah you know? yeah no it, it sounds extremely complicated and basically it's a, a device that will hopefully trap the sun and transduce the solar energy it's transmitting and convert it to electrical energy that and send it to earth as energy that can be used yeah but just even the like the, the, just the scale of the sun and having something that can like extract all of its energy is just like sense so so crazy yeah what i heard the most realistic apparently realistic uh, proposal would be that we uh use all of the mass of jupiter and mm -hmm. we end up building the Dyson Sphere around Jupiter so okay. that we get all of the sun's energy coming into us and stopping at Jupiter. That was what I Okay, heard. yeah, yeah, um, that's interesting. Actually. Yeah, and I had to try and imagine where Jupiter was in the solar system and I started saying like, so, all right, it's obviously uh, Earth is the third one and then it's Richard of York gave battle. Oh, no, damn, <laughs> and I couldn't figure it. <laughs> it was terrible. Um, I have a really good mnemonic for the planets. Oh, yeah, what is it? My very efficient mind just stores up nine planets. Oh, uh, that's so, brilliant. Yeah, uh, my Mercury, very Venus, Earth, Mars, Jupiter, Saturn, Neptune, Pluto. You're going to have to uh, redo that now because we don't consider Pluto a planet anymore. Yeah, true. That's, that's a, but, but I think they took it and then they gave it back, but I think they've taken it again, haven't they? Yeah, I think that is literally <laughs> what happened, yeah. Leave Pluto alone! <laughs> <laughs> Whoever had to reprint those science books is going to be so pissed by the yeah, end of all yeah. of this. Yeah, I think we, we kicked Pluto out of the uh, solar system, and then I think we just felt really bad about doing it. So we were like, ah, oh, get over here, you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, is is yeah. there even a point in talking about what a Type 3 civilization could do? God, um, yeah. I feel like it's it's just too many words, uh, and that we're probably losing the listener's ability to... Uh, to I think I can sum it up quickly. Okay, go. Okay, so if we just recap on a Type 1. So a Type 1 is something that can use all the energy 
that a planet is getting from its nearest star. But it's all the energy that a planet is getting. A type 2 then can use all the energy that is coming out of the neighboring star, whether it's hitting the planet or not. And then a type 3 is a civilization that can control energy on the scale of its entire host galaxy. So yeah. that's basically harnessing the energy of the Milky Way. Which is just... <laughs> is there even anything in popular culture that we could... Like, there's not really. Like, no. Um, I guess the the civilizations in Star Wars, like, because they can travel from planet to planet so easily, that would, like, that aspect of it would be an example of a type tree, but in every other aspect, no, that's not what yeah. it would be like. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. Um, it's, it's really hard. Basically, if you were a type tree civilization, you're at levels where you could, like, fly around uh, and land on a planet and take over that planet um, in spite of your inability to understand human concepts like love. <laughs> so Yeah. Um, I, I was thinking there about, like, trying to come up with an analogy, like, if you consider locomotion and you consider mankind walking and then you consider the Industrial Revolution and trains yeah. being the next step up and then from trains thinking to space shuttles and space travel being the next one yeah, i don't even yeah. think that does it justice like it, i think it's it's exponentially bigger than each of those it is it is definitely yeah it, it it's it's more like if you had the ability to yeah no never mind because what i was going to say was what it actually is <laughs> <laughs> which is which probably would have been true yeah, yeah that's right <laughs> <laughs> and worth repeating but uh still yeah it's the... yeah so with all of this stuff in mind um it presents us with a problem right because we've just said how many stars um there are in our galaxy how many planets in the goldilocks region there are in our galaxy how young our earth is versus how old the universe is so is this a good time to ask where is everybody? Exactly. And talk about the Fermi paradox. Um, this is the Fermi paradox is really interesting and it's a lot less sciencey than the Kardashev scale. So if you're thinking of switching off, I think you should not do that. <laughs> um, basically, Enrico Fermi was a nuclear physicist, I believe. Um, he actually never published a single paper about astronomy or space or, or anything to do with that. Um, but he was at a lunch with some other really intelligent people. Um, and they were looking at a cartoon that had popped up as part of the... Uh, would you call the the whole alien existence in the zeitgeist as a as a cultural sort of thing? Would you call that an example of mass hysteria? Because I think it perfectly suits that profile. Like it, it had like all of these accounts that couldn't really be explained because they were almost certainly either imagined or else things that didn't really happen but people genuinely believe that they saw them. You know, what I, I mean? definitely do, and I think there's a really good kind of uh, anecdote that I have to offer at this point. I think you mentioned earlier that H.G. Wells sort of penned the first kind of perceptual visual creature as an alien. Yeah, yeah. That's he right. also, when he was releasing War of the Worlds, he also kind of submitted a, a radio talk, but he did it from the point of view that these aliens are actually coming and trying to take over. Oh, Earth. I know what you're going to say, and I have an even more interesting factoid about that exact thing. Yeah, and he basically found that as he was kind of reading out from it and basically acting as if it was happening, everybody listening thought that the world was about to end. 
everyone thought that he was telling the truth and that aliens are actually coming and that the world as we know is about to end. So like the kind of mass hysteria was literally typified in that one example. And before and after then, I think it's been there to varying degrees. I'm, I'm going to like, I'm about to be a massive dickhead. <laughs> but the fact that I have about what you just spoke about is that that is not even true. Um, oh. And all of the accounts of that happening were made up by news media, like uh, print media, because they were terrified of radio's influence um, on people, like in terms of radio being a way of broadcasting news right into people's homes that they wouldn't have to leave their house to get the newspaper anymore. Wow. So they made that up, and all accounts of that in print are exaggerated by a colluding news force who decided okay. to... Uh, to create that lie um, to sort of be like lol at radio um, <laughs> so yeah that's what that story is about and it's always really fascinated me because um, I was taught that in school that fact about yeah. about radio and, and when it first came in but yeah it, it's so easy to think too because there are so many things that we look at in textbooks and say lol at people in the past yeah <laughs> like, yeah we're always like uh, like we don't imagine people in the past to be on the same intellectual plane as us totally and we also kind of uh like hindsight is always twenty twenty. as if like how could you not see that or whatever yeah yeah exactly and then the most interesting thing is surely in like 50 years from now they're going to be looking back at us with the exact same scorn yeah oh definitely yeah so like it's just funny that every generation kind of bears the brunt of the next one's malice or we actually scorn we've we've been doing that exponentially uh yeah we have we're doing this thing now right where um uh, so remember there was news stories about Justin Bieber smoking weed um, mm. this was about four years ago and the people on 4chan went let's all make Justin Bieber fans seem even more fanatical and more insane than they are <laughs> and they googled stock images or just images on, on the internet of people cutting themselves and they uploaded them from the point of view of being a Justin Bieber fan and hashtag cut for Bieber trended around the world and news media ran with the idea that Justin Bieber fans are cutting themselves because their idol is smoking weed. Jesus. None of it was true. Yeah. But everyone in the world was like, lol, at Justin Bieber fans. Wow. But it was completely made up. And That's uh, gas. Yeah. But that's an example of how we're, we're already doing that to, like, to yeah. uh, subcultures that exist, which is, which is crazy to think about. Um, totally. There was there was one going around recently too that I saw, but uh, I don't remember what it was. Um, but the Fermi paradox, uh, Enrico Fermi uh, said, with the Drake equation in mind and the fact that it is in incredibly likely that uh, life exists out there and and we're searching for it all the time. Where is everybody? And yeah. it turned out that he was referencing just alien life and the fact that we have not been visited yet or the fact that we haven't detected even a radio signal. And um, why is that? It's like a huge problem when you take the Drake equation into account. And, exactly. Um, and, and like the Kardashev, Kardashev scale and the way that it categorizes these civilizations in terms of how likely we are to find them, it doesn't make sense that there's no galactic paper trail and there's no, like, space garbage out there that we found or, or anything like that. Essentially, the Fermi paradox, basically it raises a question. 
given the huge number of potentially inhabitable planets, not only in our galaxy, but in the universe in general, and given the timeline that Earth has existed and that the universe has been developing and growing, why haven't we encountered any other intelligent life form, either like ourselves or more advanced than us? And that's kind of the root of the paradox. Where is everybody? Why haven't we seen anything yet? And just why does the universe seem completely empty and void of existence and life? It's kind of um, like almost upsetting to think on this kind of scale. Don't yeah, you think? Like it's, yeah, definitely. It, it sort of makes you realize your cosmic insignificance because... When I factored this problem in with the, like we were talking about earlier, how how little of a time humans have existed, it just presents like an infinite number of possibilities for why. Because yeah. if we knew that we were around since the very start of the universe, um, yeah. then like just the fact that documented history isn't, it doesn't go back far enough, like there's just so many gaps and so many variables and so many what ifs and so many, this could be the thing. It's, yeah. it's mind boggling. And also just, are you familiar with the concept of FOMO fear of missing out? Yes. Yeah. 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 So for the longest time I have been endlessly fascinated by the concept of the technological singularity, which is the, the idea that humans get to a point where they can upload their consciousness and live forever as a machine. And okay. I believe we will get there because most intelligent people think we'll get there. Like Stephen Hawking thinks it, uh, Ray Kurzweil thinks it. it. It's sort of a, it's it's not a guaranteed thing by any means, but it's certainly yeah. a, a, a strong uh, theory. And... The one thing though that in relation to uploading consciousness, my only gripe is, okay, so we know kind of that the fundamental unit of technological information is a byte right or like kind of a megabyte etc yeah that's kind of the fund the fundamental unit of consciousness though hasn't been discovered like for instance if you hooked up say you stuck a cable into your brain at one end and then into a computer at the other what would be traveling through the cable as you upload your purported consciousness yeah i i i have the exact same problem when i and this isn't actually getting off the topic because this is completely relevant to what because we talk about type 3 civilizations this could be exactly what they are capable of doing so yeah. I, I don't actually think that this is off topic but um when i envision uh, a concept like uh reincarnation or when people say like what if you're something reincarnated i won't scoff at the idea because i don't know anything and, and like i'm intelligent enough to know that i don't really know anything and while that is a really far-fetched concept in science and what we know about it, I just I just can't say it's impossible because yeah. of some of the things that we're about to talk about in this episode. But when I think of reincarnation and the idea that I was something in a past life, what does that fucking matter if I have no memory of it, I'm not conscious of it at all? What about me makes me the same thing that I was before? Because if you're unable to remember or even perceive of the life you used to have ultimately it is of no significance whatsoever and it's impossible to like am i just thinking about consciousness there when i'm thinking that okay yeah i think what you're saying is interesting but let me pose you this question so i think there are two ways to think about reincarnation the first is is that if we imagine 
say, for instance, a plant. And after it dies, it withers and decays and becomes part of the soil and then like uh, becomes grass. And then a cow eats the grass. And from that, then the cow becomes bigger. It's butchered. It makes steak. We eat it. It becomes part of our body. Okay, so just in some way, reincarnation. And we can also think about people dying cremated, uh, spread their ashes over the sea. This is taken up by fish. Say, for instance, they're eating it. We eat the fish, etc. The circle of life continues. Mm. Uh, The second interpretation of reincarnation is that there's some sort of karma balancing system in that what you have done in this life sort of sways how you will proceed in your next life. So while you say now, if you've no recollection of what you were before, why should you, should you even bother, bother thinking about it? Another way to think about that, though, is imagine all the people now who are living in dire suffering. So say, for instance, who are starving amongst famine and drought in Africa. I don't believe this, and I think it's a a heinous thing to think. But imagine then that the the kids who are experiencing that now at some other time were very immoral, and that's why they're the way they are now. Yeah. So, like, there's there's sort of the two ways. I get what you mean, that there's no point in really thinking about something if you can't remember it. But in a way, now, if you are a very moral person, you could be saying, okay, I'm ensuring that I have some decent quality of life in my next existence but you're not gonna know so like but you know right now so say for instance if you were in uh, in dire pain now you would know that your existence right now is extraordinarily painful at the moment i don't think you have that you have a fairly nice existence so just if reincarnation is true you have your previous actions to thank for the fact that now is a fairly pleasurable existence so you do know what your standard of what your quality of life is like now you, you experience it day to day. It's still a concept that, like, I can accept that as, as a concept, but I just think it's, it, like, it, it's pointless because it doesn't matter because I'm not going to know what I am in the next life. I'm not going to know who or what. Like, it's not me. Like, what aspect of it is me? Like, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I completely don't believe any of that, like, sort of like that you pay for what you or you, you reap what you sow, you pay for it, what you do. It sounds very much like a um, a way of excusing the problems in the world, doesn't it? Like, totally. And I, I I really dislike that saying what goes around comes around. Yeah, yeah, it's nonsense. Like, it, it, it is nonsense. And in fact, though, I interpreted it. I remember ages ago, I was thinking about it, thinking about it, thinking about it. So I interpret it now a different way. I think about it in terms of position in space and relativity and what i mean by that is what goes around so something that's going away from you is coming towards someone else or coming you, you know what i mean so if yeah. what you're what you're doing what what's going from you is co- is coming the same thing is coming but to another person so i don't think of it as two separate things i think of it as the same thing but relative to two different people it's sort of like every action has a reaction Exactly. Yeah. In, a, so, in a, a slightly broader sense, but yeah, that that sort of idea. Which, yeah, which is like a perfectly rational and reasonable way of, and it has basis in reality and like. But I don't see how, as you say, and I agree with you. I don't see how morality and ethics comes into that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it's it's like it's nonsense, really, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. Um. So with the the Fermi paradox, then, and this idea that we. You know, we don't know if aliens exist or, or if they have visited or, or whatever. Um, should we put them into groups? So um, in group one, this is a group of whatever group of, uh, of opinions that represents an explanation for the Fermi paradox. So group one says 
there are no signs of higher civilizations because there are no higher civilizations in existence. Um, one of the reasons that they think that is what's called the rare earth theory, or is the rare earth hypothesis. Um, Similar enough, yeah. Yeah, e either way, it's, it's the idea that we, as we are, and having... Uh, being so lucky to arrive at this particular position in our planet at this exact time is just a rarity. It, it just does not happen. Um, and the idea that we have gotten here, it, like it's it's not a common thing. Like it, it it's just outrageously lucky and outrageously rare. So it, it's that's yeah. the reason that it it hasn't been replicated is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. So like we're first. Um, we're the first civilization to have reached this point. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. so everything else is, is kind of in our hands in that sense. Um, yeah. and then the second main argument from group one, uh, explanations is called the great filter. And I really like that name. I just think it's the, the great filter is such an emphatic term yeah, uh, for, yeah. for the type of thing that it is. But basically the great filter, the great filter theory is that at some point from uh, whatever you were before being a type 1 uh, on your way up towards type 3, there's something that happens that eliminates all life or at least reverts all life back to being a pre-type 2 civilization. Um, and it, it's not like there's not one thing that counts as the great filter it could be anything it, it could be a plague that sweeps the entire nation it could be like a natural disaster um it could be even evolution itself and how ridiculous it is that we happened to evolve into what we have done we may be already past the great filter like it may be behind us and we may be further than anyone else has ever gotten which is as yeah. i said that that kind of ties into the rare earth theory um and just before we talk about the evolutionary thing i wanted to say that um what did i want to say <laughs> i don't remember um oh so so what i wanted to say was that if um a civilization is on its way from type 2 to type 3 or even type 1 to type 2 like if there is is a more advanced civilization than us say on their way to space travel if that were to happen to us um and we were on our way to type 2 comfortably and then we had this great nuclear disaster or or some like a, a, some natural disaster that wiped out most of the planet it would be so difficult for us to rebuild because we've already used up most of the accessible natural resources on our planet. Like, mm -hmm. there's no more easily accessible coal or oil or yeah. things like that. So we would mostly be building from scrap from whatever is left of the world that has been... Exactly. And not only that, though, but that which remains now in terms of resources could have been demolished and destroyed by the nuclear fallout. Exactly, yeah. So it's not inconceivable to imagine that somewhere out there there was the perfect civilization that had reached this altruistic peak on its way to intergalactic colonization and then something irreversible happened to it. And, and that reminds me of a really good quote actually from Albert Einstein. He said, um, I'm, I'm going to try and paraphrase it. I can't remember exactly. He, he said, said, if you can't handle me at my worst, you don't deserve <laughs> <laughs> He said, of the weapons of World War Three." I have no idea, 
but the weapons of World War Four will be sticks and stones. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That yeah, it's just quote. really cool. I, I looked up the origin of that quote, and I think he was actually quoting someone else when he said it. Um, Interesting. Well, geez, you're just coming down to me for all of my little anecdotes today. I'm just saying that everything you think is wrong. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry. Oh, I, I thought you meant something much worse. <laughs> <laughs> At least you're keeping me on my toes. Yeah. I never I never realized I was such a dickhead until earlier where I was like, <laughs> yeah, you're fact. Go ahead. Tell it. <laughs> oh, oh, I knew. Oh, I knew. <laughs> um, uh, so, yeah, the, 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 the great filter, um, if it's behind us and it is evolution, I think that poses a really interesting um, proposition because if we were to discover that life, uh, say that there was a galaxy or not a galaxy, uh, a cluster of stars or, or planets out there, teeming with life in its early stages and in its microscopic bacterial stages that could be really bad for us because if you are of the impression that we're past the great filter um and you see that other life has started to spring up then you may think that there's something in our future that is going to send us back a, a mm -hmm. few steps like i i don't know it's the great filter itself is is just a concept that does make me terrified the more I think of it because the fact that yeah. we haven't been visited by anything and the fact that we've made it this far like it does you you are just sort of shouting at the sky for answers because totally. we seem so significant in what we've yeah. done like we're brilliant in terms of the technology we've created with what little time we've done it in yeah and it just seems impossible to imagine that out of the like i think it was a gazillion planets that were like earth that we decided earlier but yes it, yeah it, it, it's nuts to think um so do you want to talk about how unlikely it is that we even made it to this point in the first place yeah so i think like it's important to even just describe the fact that 99 percent of all the species as we said on earth have become extinct that's like 99 percent. it's like i think it was like over five billion it's like just crazy it's like an astronomical number and just like, for instance, if you think about, like, the ice ages, all the different floods, all the different, like, natural disasters, think about all the large, like, predatory mammals that, uh, like, live on the planet that we coexisted alongside. And, yeah. like, how kind of uh, we're thinkers, but we're not that strong in the grand scheme of things. Like, if you throw a human down into Africa, like, in the middle of the Serengeti, like, especially, like, a Western iceberg, like, we're just not that well equipped by ourselves unless we're taught and unless we're in groups. We're just not that well equipped. So, yeah, I think it, like, it's extraordinarily unlikely that we did get to where we are. I think there's been a lot of kind of serendipity and luck associated with it. Mm, and I think, yeah, so I, I think kind of a, a good thing to do would just be to start from evolution in a sort of general sense and then work on from there as to why human beings are so unique and so fortunate to kind of possess the different faculties that we have so obviously evolution was sort of first described i believe by charles darwin he at least gave it a kind of a very detailed exhibition and it was on the theory of natural selection so basically what he decided was like if you look at the world through our eyes and you see the complexity and it's teeming with life and you see sort of the intricate nature of life itself it sort of seems a priori impossible that this came about by chance and these things like these pieces just fell together so that's sort of why religion back in those times and kind of a few centuries ago was such a great explanation of things because it was so intuitive of course like things are the way they are because a perfectly intelligent and powerful designer made them that way but the great thing about darwin was he showed that not only does that not happen 
it's not even necessary or even likely to happen that we need this intelligent designer. So basically what he decided was, was that nature kind of exemplifies through species different mutations which endow the different animals and members of that species with either traits that will be in conducive to survival or will hamper survival and based on that then the ones who have an increased chance of survival are at an increased chance or likelihood to pass on their dna and because of that then those particular traits that those uh, organisms have will get passed on because those ones are more likely to pass on their dna so for instance if we take an example i always think examples are a good way to go if you think of africa and giraffes so some people say the reason that a giraffe's neck is long is because the food is up high. That isn't entirely correct. The reason a giraffe's neck is long is because all the giraffes with short necks died out. And that's kind of the more realistic. And not only that, though, but the ones with long necks then were able to pass on their DNA. So it's kind of like two sides of the coin. The short neck ones died out, and alongside that, the ones with the long necks were able to pass on their DNA. I've always thought of that idea of their necks are long so they can eat the food up there and i've always just been like maybe they fucking eat the food up there because their necks are so long exactly yeah their necks it's not as if sort of their necks were designed to be long so they could reach the food it was more so that the ones who didn't have long necks died out and that's why the ones that are left have long necks yeah yeah it's not like the the short-necked giraffes used to use step ladders and then they exactly or like what some people think that like their necks got inch by inch bigger and bigger so they could reach the leaves it was like no those short-necked ones died Um, (laughs) yeah so brutal (laughs) yeah exactly yeah survival of the fittest yeah yeah and and that's and that's fittest in terms of how it fits into its environment like it's not necessarily the baddest biggest bully exactly survives just because of those traits it's how it fits into that environment and humans are a perfect example of that yeah like we're just so great at adapting to so many different situations and like sort of the evolutionary changes that happen in our brain from like the limbic system or the sort of lizard brain which then kind of the cortex we developed kind of the ability to reason and carry out executive functionings like planning and kind of organizing ourselves and orienting ourselves and multitasking and then the neocortex which is what they kind of purport to be the very very human um esque features of human beings and that's the neo the the most recent addition to the human brain it would be so good if you if you started making stuff up there like wild like just like (laughs) and that's how we managed to live underwater for twenty five thousand years (laughs) yeah yeah Oh, Atlantis, how I miss you. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah. The, the the idea that... what I, I don't know um, the evolutionary terminology, but um, the idea of jumping from a single-cell organism to what we are now, there's a term for that, and I can't remember what it is, and I only heard it for the first time like two days ago. Um, Interesting. But whatever it is, is it's only happened once in 4.5 billion years yeah so that really gives weight to it being a great filter um yeah because it's not it's not going from insect to animal because there are millions of examples of that happening so that's not rare but Mm -hmm. what is rare is for something to develop intelligence on the level that we have so that really gives weight to the idea that that's uh that that is the great filter and that it is behind us 
Yes. Um, And that we're sort of sailing into the unknown, uh, like galactically speaking or cosmologically speaking or... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you can add like all of those terms, and it will still like universally. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. So yeah, that's uh, the the great filter, and you can think of anything uh, as an example of that. But there's also the doomsday theory, which um, which theorizes that once a human, or sorry, once a civilization reaches a certain point, it will wipe itself out, and I think there's also a lot of weight to be given to that idea because if you think about Einstein's theory of relativity and E equals MC squared, it's the same formula he used to discover that is the same thing that gave rise to using atomic power, like atomic weapons. So that leap uh, goes hand in hand with like powerful weaponry Um, and civilizations like it's not, it's not a what's the word it's just not impossible to imagine any civilization developing uh, atomic power at the same time that they start to understand radio frequencies and things like that so i yeah. I, I think that does have a lot of basis in reality because the more powerful you become or your the more energy you have the ability to harness from the planet it it sort of exponentially increases the threat that you have to yourself because yeah containing all of that power can be really bad in the wrong hands and just looking at the history of humankind we have been destroying each other since day one like yeah the oldest skeleton ever found is like riddled with like it's got like rock-shaped holes in its skull like it was <laughs> yeah, definitely yeah. beaten to death like we have been <laughs> annihilating each other and and eviscerating each other since the yeah. dawn of time so it's not impossible to imagine that other civilizations um haven't managed to get along with each other and that that's been a, a great sort of um hindrance yeah. to their advancement and carl sagan um who is a legendary like i don't need to explain who carl sagan is um, but he was under the impression that any civilization capable of listening to our frequencies or what messages we were sending out into space would be so technologically advanced that they would be innately altruistic. And I don't think that that's uh, ridiculous to say because of what I just said, ultimately, is the more powerful you are, the more dangerous you become to yourself. But if you could get past that and get yeah. to a stage where you're purely altruistic, like it... it that's not impossible for me to imagine, I don't think. Yeah, if they harness the power to travel intergalactically, it sort of sounds like things are going pretty well for that civilization. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So if things are going pretty well, they've probably transcended the need for resources and that sort of hunter-gatherer-esque living and kind of moved on to a more intellectual and discovery-based existence. And again, though, we are just being completely human when we think that. Totally. Because you, it's also not impossible to imagine that they had like even even if you were to go back to thinking about humans because it is all that we have to go on. But what if like (laughs) there was a civilization like say the Mongols who decided Mm. to wipe out anything and everything in its path for Mm. for literally two centuries? Oh yeah. Um, if they got their way and owned everything, 
there probably wouldn't be that much fighting left because they would have conquered everything. Like, who's to say they weren't going to go on to create a, a Mongolian utopia? <laughs> like, the empire under Genghis Khan, I think it's the largest, um, in terms of geographical size, empire of anything that it is. preceded it or succeeded it. Yeah, it is. Um, yeah. The age, the two centuries that they ruled the world is just called the Mongolian age age is it the mongolian age is that what it's called okay yeah 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 sounds but, right but it's it's 200 years yeah of them like that's fucked up like that's yeah crazy. um and just to you, you talked about kind of the leap in terms of technology between our civilization and a potential alien civilization and i just like to make an analogy alongside that in relation to human evolution so if we think about human beings and compare them to other great apes like say gorillas or orangutans there's only a one percent genetic difference between us and them yeah yeah so what separates us so our ability to send someone to outer space is a, if, if we bring it back in terms of genes only one percent of that differentiates that from waving your bare arse around and shitting in public yeah <laughs> which some humans do like to do so That's you know true. yeah but okay and then if we think about that for a moment and then also think about what would happen if an alien life form that came down to see us was one percent just one percent different from us and how exponentially different that could make them so like for instance oh yeah our children yeah sure they harness space travel when they were seven like they figured out how to make rockets and shuttles and oh yeah now they're moving on to x y and z you know what i mean yeah completely like, um, uh, and that's only if we give them a 1% difference. Imagine if they were 5 or 10 or 20% different from us. That's the thing, what? like, trying to... Right, we can't even communicate with people from, like, 200 years ago who speak English. Like, if you were faced with a 200-year-old man right now who spoke English as they did 200 years ago, you wouldn't have the easiest time talking to him. Yeah. Like, you'd be able to figure it out, probably based on yeah. certain words that you'd have in common and stuff. But for the most part, the language has changed and, and shifted dramatically. Like, we yeah. we can't communicate with... Like, we, we can't understand certain ancient texts and things like that. We don't have a strong ability to communicate with each other. Like, if you even speak to a person who doesn't speak English, all you do is speak English louder and slower in the hope that they'll understand it. Like, that's yeah. how... And I'm not saying that everyone does that, but that is your natural instinct, and that's how bad we are at, totally. at communicating with species that we... Like, with that we are and understand on, on lots of levels. Um, yeah, I remember yeah. reading this story about how when the U.S. forces... Uh, first dropped down in Afghanistan in the early 2000s they had mm. set up checkpoints on the road to um, to search cars that drove past and see if they were Taliban members and the American checkpoints the um, Afghani cars would be driving through it and the American soldiers would put their hand out to motion and say stop Yeah. but in Afghanistan that means everything is okay <laughs> go ahead Jesus. and so many innocent afghani people were gunned down by american soldiers because of that one oversight so yeah. can you imagine how you can't like i mean no one can like how are we going to communicate with the species if we were exactly. face to face with them we can't even imagine what they would look like like there's no reason to suggest that their that their makeup is even biological like in all probability they would be post-biological or they would be machine yeah if, 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 if they ended up coming to see us definitely yeah yeah exactly um 
So and also, yeah, like I, I think what's important to add on to that is just sort of the anthropomorphism, anthropomorphism that humans sort of apply to nearly everything that's quasi supernatural, like God and, and aliens. Like God in the kind of Judeo Christian tradition is like an old man with a beard. Yeah, uh, aliens are these bipedal humanoids with large heads, two eyes kind of two lower limbs, two upper limbs, skin. You know what I mean? Like, it, it's as if we've lost all imagination. And you, you only need to look to Hollywood and to see how they convey aliens as well. Like, Avatar, they're basically just lanky fucking humans. It, it's really funny with um, when you look at Hollywood and how they convey aliens. But even if you look at how they convey other animals, like, in the Ice Age movies, all mm. of those animals are just dogs. <laughs> like, they do other things, but they are dogs. Like, if if you watch any movie with talking animals, they're all dogs. Yeah. Like, they all do <laughs> dog things. They don't behave like how those animals behave. Yeah, Because yeah. the animal we relate to strongest is the dog, because we've domesticated it, and they are extremely loyal to us, and they're kind of our best buddies in that sense. Yeah, and that's, yeah. like, as close as we've got to imagining humanizing another species as a dog... Because we, yeah, yeah, we, yeah. we've studied their behavior enough to know what they're like. So even when we have other animals, they're still just dogs. Like Yeah, yeah. It's like it's it's, it's what we relate to best, so yeah. they just kinda give us that like yeah. It's, it's just a thing that we're so bad at. Like we we can't I it's just laughable that we you know, like culturally I don't know what the percentage of people who believe in aliens is, but I would imagine it to be pretty high. Yeah, and it's pretty high amongst physicists as well, who I think should be kind of the the best people to listen to when we're discussing it. Like, while they can't obviously give a number of different types or whatever, like the, the, the fact that they're so convinced they exist just goes to show the extreme odds that they do exist. Yeah. And also why the Fermi paradox is a thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, should we talk about group two explanation? So... Group one, just to do a quick recap, basically says we haven't been visited because of these reasons. We're extremely rare. They've all died out in their own planets. It's not to say that they never existed, but they something happens to species along those lines uh, or, or they haven't evolved. Like there's definitely life out there, but not intelligent life, things like that. So explanation group two is much more fun than that. Um, so my favorite one, I think, to start off with, um, is also a light one and like quite a believable one, right? So um, humans, as we said, have not really been around for that long, and the universe is 13.7 billion years old or whatever it is. So Earth is only 4.5 billion years old, and we know that it can take 4.5 billion years on a planet for a species to develop 0.7 intelligence. So if there was a planet out there that was blessed to be in uh, an environment that wasn't hostile, an environment that supported life a lot more strongly than ours did, and that species developed into a type 2, it's not impossible that we've already been visited by aliens, but they got here and it was just plants and shit everywhere. Yeah. Like, no dinosaurs, no anything. Like, a spacecraft arrives, they scan for life, and then it takes off, and a bunch of animals run away in fear, and that's it. No one would be able to say that that hasn't happened. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. I think that's my favorite one, because if you just think about how much 
time it would take for that to happen, it's not that impossible. I mean, just from our industrial revolution to us having literally every single thing that you could possibly want in your yeah. hand in a phone is it's it's just over a hundred years so it's, yeah it's yeah i think if, a good way of thinking about it is if you think about the last 100 year or the last 100 million years and then there was 4.4 billion years before that so there was basically 44 times the chance if they were going to come it would have been over 100 million years ago yeah and that's 100 million years yeah so even if we just say that like the chance of them coming in the last 100 million years is so tiny and we've only been here for a fraction of that as it's it's so much more likely that they came when we weren't here basically yeah exactly and like that's not even a an insane thing to say there, there's no suspension of disbelief required for that based on the data that we have available to us like it, yeah. it's an entirely like rational thing to say like that exactly we may have already been visited by super intelligent life yeah, and they just moved on. There yeah. was nothing here, and they were, oh, this, no intelligent life. And... Yeah, or, or they were like, maybe they were just like, well, this planet is dead, the, the, there's nothing here, or this planet is not yet alive, <laughs> or so, yeah. something like that. But yeah, that's entirely possible. Um, do you yeah. want to go into the next one? What, um, another explanation for uh, for Group 2? Yeah, so like uh, another explanation, which is sort of interesting and sort of counter-human, which is sort of good in a way that we're kind of thinking about things from a point of view that isn't our, our own, yeah. is that perhaps the other alien species just don't have the same desire as us to leave their own planet, their own civilization, their own galaxy. They're much more kind of centered around building things up for themselves. They're not too concerned. They possibly have sort of uh, observatories and they're scanning the, the heavens and they don't see anything. And they're more concerned about putting their time and effort into building up their own civilization, making sure they're self-sufficient and resource levels and making sure their people are well looked after and, and kind of intellectual and academic examinations at the ground level of their own planet before they're worrying about other things. I really which is like also, that one too. Yeah, and it's, it's also kind of an argument that some people have against the likes of NASA is kind of why focus on sending someone to the moon and the millions and millions of dollars that incurs when there's so much problem here on earth that could be partially solved or semi-solved with that money and that kind of re those resources i hate those people <laughs> yeah i, I really do i remember when um felix baumgartner jumped from the edge of space doing yeah, that that, yeah. that free fall jump and people were like why didn't they build a hospital with that money and i was like <laughs> this was like a movement on, on twitter at the time and i was like yeah motherfucker the the thing was made by red bull you don't want to see red bull going around building hospitals like if you had your way everyone would live next door to a fucking hospital like yeah, yeah, sometimes yeah. things happen that don't result in people building hospitals <laughs> yeah 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 <sighs> like they're free to spend their money exactly how they want. They're a multi-million dollar, like, multinational corporation. Like, <laughs> yeah, they, yeah. They probably do enough for the world anyway. Like, <laughs> they yeah, don't have to explain yeah. themselves to you. Like, they, exactly. They, just, they yeah. just help to break a world record and stuff. Like <laughs> yeah. And come on, like, their tagline is Red Bull gives you wings. Yeah. Better. <laughs> How disingenuous would it be if they didn't fund that experiment? It would have been the second greatest lawsuit after uh, Lionel Hutch's <laughs> one against the <laughs> never-ending storm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, I, I, another thing about the idea that, like, we see in, we think it's a very human thing 
to, and it is, I suppose, it is one of the defining traits of humans is that we go and we conquer. We yeah. we expand into every corner of the world. Um, like that's... just even look at the Renaissance. Like literally the like the, the first one hundred years of the rebirth of Western civilization. And what did we do? We wanted to colonize distant lands. We traveled to South America. Like it just seems as if we don't know anything but exploring. Yeah, exactly. And like we'll definitely continue doing that into space. Like that is the plan. That's what humans are programmed to do. But there are plenty of civilizations on Earth who don't have a cultural wanderlust like yes, embedded yes. in them. Uh, we find Amazonian tribes like all the time. Like there, there's thousands of tribes out there that are primitive and still, you know, hunting with sticks and stuff like that. And some of them haven't even been discovered yet. Like, yeah, I think that's the most crazy. incredible thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, like there's there's tribes out on some islands that like i remember they attacked a helicopter with sticks and one of one of the pilots fell out with the helicopter and they ate his corpse so oh, Jesus. yeah like the, there are plenty of primitive uh, cultures on this planet that do not have any sense of wanderlust whatsoever um and there's two other reasons why they might not want to leave their planet um that i really like so one is the idea that they're super intelligent but their planet is obscured by extremely heavy cloud cover and it just hasn't occurred to them that there's something above that which mm. it's hard to imagine something being so intelligent that it doesn't think to look up yeah but sort of like the fish in a bowl hypothesis like the fish never yeah, really thinks about yeah completely um but i don't think it's impossible because i, I mean it's impossible to quantify but i can see it being a thing um in in some weird form like i i can just imagine that happening because ultimately when i was looking back over the history of ufo reports it's very interesting how the timeline of um ufo in our ufos not sightings but ufo descriptions in fiction how they tie in with the discovery of like you know the star in in the sense of what they actually are in the sky um yeah. you can see that we've learned something and therefore we've been able to create fiction around it and it it was it, it's really interesting to look at that because it does show that with that discovery comes a whole new form of imagination and yeah. i just think there's something in there you know that they just for whatever reason didn't imagine to to look up <laughs> yeah which, yeah which is simplifying it but then the other thing the, the other idea I have is the complete opposite in that they are the hyper-intelligent type tree civilization and they have found a way to upload their consciousness to machines and they're all living in some uh, jar. like They're all like a head in a jar or something that's living forever in its eternal utopia. Plus, yeah, like, and sure, why would they have any desire to leave that? Yeah, like they might not even have a desire to do anything that we think. Like they might yeah. not have any desire for sustenance or like anything yeah, like that. Yeah. They may just be existing as a machine, and that's you know a possibility. Yeah, totally. It's um, yeah, uh, like kind of you couldn't be in a better existence than in a utopia created by artificial intelligence. So why would you bother trying to search for something other than that? Completely, yeah. And and yeah. like in a weird way, fiction always portrays that as a dystopian ideology, but I think it's pretty damn awesome. Yeah. To be honest. Like I really do. In, in, 
in fact, it's very, very hard to find in kind of popular culture any representation of the future that's not a dystopia. Yeah, yeah, that's true. It's, it always seems to be negative and pessimistic. I suppose there's something in there about how pop culture, or, well, rather, uh, like, fictional stories just tend to tap into cultural fears and... Yeah. Like it's and like, it's yeah. a lot easier to identify negative emotions, I think. And and bad news sells. Like, you just need to, like, watch the 6 o'clock news and 95% of the stories are bad news. 100%, yeah, that's... No, 95. <laughs> <laughs> I knew as soon as I said that 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 was a stupid response. <laughs> I need to stop saying 100% as my, like, sort of, I agree. <laughs> They're yeah. not necessarily synonymous, I don't think. Um, 100%. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, um... Yeah, there's another possibility is that there is already an intergalactic federation and we just live out in the galactic sticks, as it were, uh, in the boonies out in the middle of nowhere and they just haven't come to see us yet. Uh, which is, I think that's really cool to imagine because I, as a kid, I really loved Star Trek and how many different planets they would go to and... and uh, Another idea along the along those lines is that there is an intergalactic federation and that they have what Star Trek defines as a prime directive, which mm. is uh, an agreement amongst uh, all of the federation that nobody is to disturb life on a developing planet like what, un- until they reach certain technological capabilities. So there may very well be uh, a huge intergalactic federation that is aware of our presence. They know who we are, but they have some moral code uh, or yeah. agreement, and it's a tightly regulated civilization, and they've said, no, you don't touch those guys, they're not ready yet, they can't comprehend that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is really cool to imagine, because <laughs> yeah. intergalactic space travel is just where we all want to be. Like that's Exactly. Just the, that's the best possible, That's it's just the best. Yeah, um, and then I, I think kind of in a similar vein to that, something that we haven't quite discussed is the size of the universe is measured in light years so things traveling from planet to planet like i don't know do you know the exact diameter that's like is it something i think it's like 90 billion light years the diameter of the universe it's ultimately 30 centimeters i think it is (laughs) i don't don't know but basically what that means is it's the time it takes light oh sorry it's the distance light travels over 90 billion years yeah like it, it's just incredible so like you just even think about the logistics of traveling from planet to planet no like that they, they should life could just be on the other fucking side of the universe what, what it light light goes around the earth seven times a second or something like that yeah yeah absolutely <laughs> crazy that, that's mind-boggling like I, yeah like so i that's can't the, comprehend that's that the, at all. exactly that's the distance light covers in a second so imagine how much distance it covers in 90 billion years yeah, and that's how big the universe is. Like it's it's, and that's just the diameter. And that's know. just the observable universe. Exactly. That's just our prediction. That's just what we know is there. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's uh, it's another another theory is that there's plenty of uh, civilization out there, but the way we're trying to communicate is completely off. Um, I heard a great metaphor for this, and I can't remember who said it um but it was someone on uh i think it was actually the guy who wrote the wait but why article 
Um, and okay. uh, let me just find his name because he's awesome. <laughs> the fuck is he? Tim Urban. It was Tim Urban who said it's like walking into a huge building with a walkie-talkie and saying, "Oh well, there's no response here, so that there must be no one here." But everyone is texting or everyone is emailing, and there's so many other ways, and, and that might be the way because all we know is is radio signals. Like we've tried um, searching with lasers, but ultimately you have to be really precise and pinpoint with lasers like you can't just scan a laser out into the sky and see what happens you have to be yeah. pointing it at something um yeah. so we send radio waves out which are obviously sound waves um and for all we know like that's extremely primitive and like maybe alien life is communicating like in, in something else like uh like we should be able to detect heat signatures or maybe they're communicating in some other way like with dark matter or neutrinos or Imagine if a star was a message. Like, imagine that was the scale that the aliens used. Like, if you, you, you had to be able to interpret all of the different physical properties and signals coming out of a star, and that was the alien's message. Like, that's literally how different from us it could be. That's crazy. They would be telling like, us about Alan the cowboy and... <laughs> yeah, like, we're, we're shining, like, lasers into space, and they're basically shining stars at us. Like, that's the difference in scale. Yeah. Imagine, like, it's possible. And we wouldn't know, because we don't know how we're going to communicate with them. Like, we exactly. cannot even communicate with people on our own planet from the same <laughs> species as us. So, like, how how do we plan on getting over that hurdle? Like, Exactly. Like, how do you initiate the first step in trans-species communication? Yeah, and they always say, like, oh, well, it, it's obviously maths. We'll use maths. We'll, we'll, like, we'll show them formulas. Like... Maths is a human construct yes, to explain like the, yeah. a, a natural thing that's obviously happening. I agree. But I like agree. like time. Time in the man-made construct of time that we understand is seconds, minutes, and hours. But time itself doesn't care about that. That's yeah, an arbitrary yeah. point that we've. Or, or it's like a, a system that we've created to understand what it is in basic terms for us, like when the sun goes up and when the sun goes down. And that's the same thing with like natural numbers and primary numbers. It's exactly it's our way of so. There's no reason at all to think that another yeah. species will understand anything about that. Like, but even the, if you think about maths, so the fact that like so like we have the like one to ten number system. After ten, it goes back, and then we have eleven to twenty, and then it goes back, so it starts on a one again. Like that is just so arbitrary that it stops at ten. Mm. Like you know what I mean? Even if we just think of it at that level. Like, there's absolutely no need. Like, you can think of a number system that goes to five, goes to seven, and then resets. And that's just kind of one way that their mathematical or quasi-mathematical system could be different. Yeah, exactly. Even in, in like, in German, I think, uh, when you get to, like, 60, it's, like, 40 plus 20 is how you pronounce it out loud, something like yeah. that. Yeah. Like, um, um, in, in France, if you want to say 80, you say four twenties. I think that's what I was thinking of. I studied yeah. both of those languages in school, and as you can tell, I did not do very well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a quatre vingt is eighty, like four twenty. It's really strange. Blaze it, four twenty. That's where it's at, man. Far out. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's um, that whole thing. I think we could dedicate an entire podcast to because yeah, it's it's, uh, it's mind blowing to think about. Um, do you have another group two explanation you want to talk about? Um. I think there's a few that sort of naturally lead into each other, but the one I really want to talk about 
is the idea that they're here already and they're lizards. Not just kidding. Um, the <laughs> the zoo hypothesis, though, which is uh, an insane far out there, like kind of conspiracy theorists level uh, interpretation. But I really, really, really like it because of what I said earlier about how we can smear ourselves in animal urine, and yeah. they won't know that we're not one of them. So exactly. how so the zoo hypothesis is the idea that the aliens know that we're here and they are all around us or they're watching us from afar. Um, I think the zoo hypothesis specifically is that they're actually not here, but they are watching us and observing us. Um, So uh, that could be happening or they could be all around us all the time. We don't even know it. Like we have species of birds that have lived their entire lives in captivity who cannot even comprehend the concept of a zoo, but they live in one and have done all their lives and they don't exactly. know that they're being observed. And that's crazy when you actually think about it. Um, there was another thing uh, that Tim Urban said on another podcast, which was like, he was he was um, paraphrasing someone else, but the idea that there's a, a huge anthill and right across from it, they're building a 10 lane superhighway. Those ants don't know anything about what's happening there. Like yeah. they have no idea, so that might be happening around us. Um, yeah. And I just think... like the reason that they might not want to talk to us could be like explaining the internet to an ant. Like they just can't exactly. understand. Yeah. So. Like I think Plato had a fantastic allegory or like sort of a way of conveying the fact that our perceptions as a relation to reality could be just so insufficient that something like an alien that comes down, we might not even be able to perceive it. What Plato said was that if you imagine uh, the real world as being a fire and that's external reality and our backs are to that fire and all we're seeing are the shadows that we're casting onto the walls of a cave. Oh God, that is amazing. Exactly. So all we can see and understand about the world is basically shadows on the wall of a cave created by our bodies but like for instance can you imagine trying to understand that the cause of the shadow this darkness this obscurity is something that's vibrant like it's fire like you know what i mean how could you make that jump from shadow to fire yeah you would never get there at all you'd never get there and you would rationalize it completely oh yeah you'd be like oh when this shadow does this this happens and i'm sure you might be consistent in your approach to the shadow yeah but you'd never make the jump from shadow to fire it just couldn't even possibly come into your mind how the fuck did plato do that (laughs) he was a genius oh man that is insane yeah Yeah. that's such an awesome awesome like isn't it it's one of my favorite uh, metaphors from from him yeah so okay if we take that and i think we can actually move that a step forward given what we know about the brain so for instance we have five putative senses so we have uh, taste, hearing, vision, touch, and smell. Like the, the, the jury's kind of out as to whether we can expand that. Like, is sense of humor actually a different sort of sense? Well, what about is... the, I have my eyes closed and I'm moving my left arm, but I still know that I'm moving it. That's a sense, that, right? That is. That's actually called, shit, what's the word for that? It's not a punitive, uh, pu- <clears throat> yeah, sense. That's called proprioception. Okay, okay. Yeah, that's the ability to perceive our limbs moving in space. Exactly. So, for instance, yeah, that would totally count as another sense. So, in fact, like 
current neuroscience theory states that the five senses is a bit dated it's a bit traditional yeah and that's really what i understood we have anywhere between 12 and 19 was what i exactly yeah i think that was in the new scientist magazine that was like the cover yeah but so when we think about that okay so let, let's just stick with the five just for ease of understanding for the moment yeah plus so, they're easy and they make more sense to... exactly so intuitively and to get the ball rolling so let's see if we start with vision we only are privy to a very strict spectrum of light that we can perceive and that's just taking into account that sort of energy from the external world in relation to vision in relation to audition and hearing we are only privy we can only make sense of a certain range of decibels and frequencies yeah in relation to tactile there's certain things we can't discriminate like we couldn't feel like for instance uh we can't feel germs or bacteria on our skin but we can feel things that are more like provide more stimulation so if we just realize the fact that the way i like to think about it is imagine there's a crate a wooden crate and in that wooden crate there's an item and there are five holes in the wooden crate and as a result of those five holes each one representing a different sense you have to be able to understand what the item is in the crate that is basically what our the information our senses gives us about the external world yeah. if each hole represents a sense trying to figure out what's in the crate just by the the five small holes that's basically how difficult it is to understand the external world through our five senses these metaphors only... are fucking awesome like that one that one's my own but the plato one i think is exceptionally good but if we take that a step further we also need to bear in mind that the external stimuli that our brain receives is completely changed into electrochemical stimuli when it hits our brain. We're not even dealing with the same sort of stimuli. We're not even dealing with the same sort of stimulation. It's being transduced and completely changed into electrochemical impulses. So it's, it's changed completely from external reality as soon as it hits our, our sensory apparatus, our ear or our eye. Yeah, even like what we see is not actually what's there. Like exactly. it, it's been changed by our brain to exactly to, to, to it's, it's been filtered ultimately by your brain to make the world more accessible to yourself or, or exactly more to make sense of it. Yeah, exactly. totally. So all our brain really cares about and I have a really interesting thing to add to this. All our brain really cares about is can you navigate your way through it? Can you survive? Can you reproduce? If you can satisfy those three functions, then nothing else matters. You're going to be able to survive going to be able to eat drink etc you're going to pass on your dna and the process will repeat so what i think is a really really cool experiment they did they, these kind of neuroscientists interest in perception they got these participants in and they gave them these glasses and what these glasses did was they flipped the visual world upside down yeah did you hear yeah. did you hear about this yeah, yeah. It's, it stayed that way for like two it, days after yeah so what they did was they flipped the visual world upside down with the glasses on. And what the brains then did, the, each participant's brain then, fl their, their brains flipped it back the normal way, even with the glasses on. That's fucked up. The brain realized that upside down wasn't a realistic or useful way of interpreting the world. So it was like, you know what, if I flip this the other way, things make much more sense. So I'm going to flip it back, even though the participants still had the glasses on. But then what they found was when they took the glasses off, because the brain was so used to flipping it, it was upside down again. Yeah. And the brain had to relearn that it didn't want to flip it again. That's what it was, yeah. Like, it's so bizarre. Like, our brains literally just care about how useful 
the information is, not how true it is. And that's why I'm really reticent and reluctant to say that science is a true representation of reality. In, in fact, what I'd be more inclined to say is that it's a very useful and predictive um, interpretation of reality. Yeah, yeah, I, I yeah, definitely. Like, I, I completely agree with that. There, yeah. There's another one I heard about on the Cracked podcast, but it's it's a really, really famous um, auditory sort of illusion, I guess, um, mm-hmm. where there is a video of just a man's mouth and he's saying, buh, buh, yeah, buh, yeah. buh. And then the only thing that changes is that his mouth makes the f, like it goes f, 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 but he doesn't, Where? it's still saying buh, buh, buh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But his, his lips are making an F sound and your brain automatically changes it so that you hear f, 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 but that is yeah. not actually what he's saying. Yeah. And I actually know what that phenomenon is called. It's called the McGurk effect. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's right. I, man, also, how do you remember? Because like I, I get so much source amnesia. Like I read so many things, and it just doesn't. I, I remember yeah. the contents of it and what I felt when I read it, but I can never remember like the source or the term or things like that. I, that's like a stumbling block for me. It's like really hard. Yeah, I know. I, I forget absolutely tons of stuff as well. I don't know. I guess if you throw enough shit at the wall, some of it sticks. But, um, <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> one particular version of the McGurk effect, which I thought was really interesting, and even kind of on another level again from what you described is so they had this thing where they were saying they had a mouth that was basically mouthing buh, buh, buh. what they made the sound of was g g g with a g and with the mouth mouthing buh, and with the sound coming out as g what the participants actually heard was d with a d oh my so god the participants actually heard something that wasn't either visual or auditory they combined the two and made another and they actually heard it though it's not as if oh they thought they heard it i should have, like thinking you hear something is the exact same as hearing it yeah they're exactly. both perceptions like there's no different like if i think i see something for all intents and purposes i see it it just it might not exist in reality but i still see it exactly like the ufo sightings and like examples of yeah. mass hysteria that have occurred in in like reality in, in the past it's it's really funny how when you take all of that into consideration like i think at this point of the podcast for the people still listening they will be thinking to themselves it's very silly that we think aliens are humanoid <laughs> great yeah. and i should add here just as a disclaimer because we've we, we've uh, recorded this podcast a week in advance so if in the meantime the earth has been invaded by gray men <laughs> uh, <laughs> we don't know anything <laughs> yeah 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 I, for one, welcome our new insect overlords. <laughs> um, so that's all a really, really good way of keeping your mind in check and your perception of uh, aliens and things of that nature in check. Um, should we discuss maybe pop cultural alien references that are not so uh static and not so um yeah uh what's the word not so reflective of uh hg wells's idea yeah. that never died <laughs> <laughs> exactly yeah and i know i think it'd be nice to do it as well because it's a bit light-hearted but i yeah. think people would kind of be able to relate to it a lot better because i think all of us have watched alien movies and thought like we all have our own ones that we're scared of our own ones that we're really interested in 
And yeah, I, I think that'd be cool. So before we start doing the different ones, I want to name an alien movie that is one of my favorite movies ever in the world, and it actually does stick to the uh, cliche. Um, <laughs> but it's M Night Shyamalan's Signs. Oh my god, I love that movie. It is so, it, it is criminally underrated, and it is yes. a movie that has suffered because of his later disappointments. Yes, like yeah. his his name has been dragged through the mud, and like it's like we're not allowed to appreciate anything that isn't the sixth sense. It's profoundly him. good. It's it, like it's it profoundly good. Yeah, and and like it has a very high critic score for that reason. Like yes, because yeah. people at the time who watched it gave it a high score because they liked it. And it's yeah. like we've sort of done a, a retcon on our opinion of it, like which is <laughs> it's really it really irritates me because I talk about movies all the time, and my friends would be like, "Oh, Signs was shit," and I was just, "Oh no, it's not yeah. though. It's it's it, like it is objectively good. Like if yeah. you watch it from the standpoint of what a good film is, it hits all the boxes. It, oh my it's god, so good. And not only that though, but it. I've watched it about, I'd say, 20 times each time I've loved it, but it instills in me that perception of, oh, my God, every time. Like, you know, that sort of takes your breath away Completely, every yeah. time. And like, I'm, I just watched it and I'm like, it, it's sort of tapping into something innately human, innately inside you, something ineffable that you can't quite describe. And it, it basically it touches the sublime in a way that very few movies do. Yeah, I completely agree. Yeah. What, what you've said there is something I've been trying to say for I said that the last time we did an episode. <laughs> hey, have you been reading my diary? <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, I last time we did an episode, I blew your mind with a little uh, uh, oh, foreshadowing yes, moment. So I have another one for signs, right? Um, yeah. At the very start of the movie, the dog is uh, the dog peed inside, and the dog never pees inside. And yeah. uh, Macaulay Culkin's brother is like, the dog is sick. Something's wrong with him. Yeah. And he goes, should we call? Um, uh, Doctor, I can't remember the guy. Doctor M Night Shyamalan, <laughs> but um, Mel Gibson's like, nah, I'll call Doctor someone else. And then the kid goes, but he's not. He doesn't look after animals. And Mel Gibson just gives him a weird look. And then later on in the movie, outside M Night Shyamalan's house, you can see his mailbox, and it says his name, and you can see that he's the town vet. And that's yeah. who the kid was talking about, and that's why Mel Gibson didn't want to call the vet because the vet is the guy who killed his wife. Exactly. It's yeah. Fucking like it doesn't point that out anywhere in it, but it's just one of those scenes that a tiny piece of dialogue, and it's there because M Night Shyamalan is like, "I'm a good director, and I'm going to reward my audience for appreciating this movie." Yeah. Because oh, he man. is yeah. a really good director, and it kills yeah. me when people are like, "No, he's not." Look, he's not a great screenwriter, but like he's he's made like a lot of good movies that people have just decided to, you know, pick apart and, and decide that uh, yeah. in hindsight they're not good, which, which is garbage. But um, And The Sixth Sense is incredible. It is, yeah, it really, really like is. It. But I, I actually think Signs is a step up from that. I think Signs dealt with everything in a more cohesive... I agree. And... I, I think Signs is one of the most complete movies I've seen. Like it, 100%. Everything about it just is so satisfying. Oh my god, yeah. I watched it about five months ago, and I couldn't get over how unreal it is to watch. It's so. Yeah. There's a scene where they're in the. I don't know, is he the, the town sheriff or something like that? And he's talking to uh, Joaquin Phoenix. 
and it's a really awkward and weird and surreal conversation. And it, it's is that a, one where licking your toes? You should have women licking your toes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like that scene wouldn't be out of place in a B movie, a B comedy yeah. movie. And like that guy looks like an alien. Yeah, exactly. He has it, that weird face. He does. It's such an odd scene. Uh, I think that guy was an army recruiter. Yes. If my memory serves me correctly. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's such a fucking good movie. No, it's it's absolutely incredible, and every single time I watch it, I'm I'm literally blown away. And there are not many movies that do that to me. That scene in Brazil with the first oh, reveal—that's like one of the freak. I yeah, I watched Signs in the cinema. Oh my like, that's god! That's how lucky I was. Oh yeah. my god! Yeah, and I, I remember watching it with uh, the lads, and like just blew me fucking. Like you, you're just like, what the hell? Yeah, it's so good, and that's a movie that conforms to the cliche of what we think aliens would be like and it's still yeah. just i it's don't know still incredible. and i i really hate when people say stuff like oh but the planet is full of water why would they shut the fuck up like it's a movie yeah right? <laughs> yeah yeah it's so it was everything it stood for and then the fact that each of the characters had their own role to play in something that was so much bigger than them yeah but that came together and it alluded to sort of a cosmic force which is basically what we've been talking about this whole time Completely. that was kind of above and beyond them like the girl leaving the glasses of water around the house whacking phoenix's amazing strike of the baseball with the baseball bat yeah the kid's ability um the kid having asthma. asthma yeah exactly his um inability <laughs> yeah <laughs> like yeah yeah it's unreal unreal so and good. yeah just great cinematography too like all the little touches that you would never think while watching it that that's a great thing to do because it's so good like it's so subtle and so expertly but the title signs as well because obviously there were the crop circles yeah exactly but yeah. the person who tied everything together wasn't the wife it wasn't whacking phoenix it wasn't the kids it was mel gibson the, the previous pastor who was able to look in and see the connections between everything yeah who hit home merrill hit home yeah you know i mean no, every time i swing away wasn't it ah yeah sure what the... <laughs> <laughs> yeah um but yeah like uh every time i hear that line it's just like holy shit yeah so good what a movie what a movie good work <laughs> aliens <laughs> yeah <laughs> I'm so glad that you enjoyed that movie as well, though, because it's exhausting trying to explain to people why it's good. <laughs> no, but, like, it is objectively perfect. It is. It is. It absolutely is. It's the type of movie that if you were in film school, you would study it, and it's it's faultless in that sense. Like, there's nothing in it that's bad. Like Yeah, it, yeah, yeah. It's, it's great. Um, yeah, no, it's really good. So, to move on from that... Um, you go. <laughs> All right. So my favorite alien movie is John Carpenter's The Thing. Yeah. I just like it was a remake, we should say, of a 1950s horror movie, um, a black and white one. That's obviously kind of representative of the kind of cultural zeitgeist and the horror movie zeitgeist of the time. Yeah. And it's essentially what it is, is it's a bunch of researchers uh, headed by uh, what's his name? Oh, I don't know. It's like oh, Kurt Russell. Kurt Russell is the. Oh, I thought you. I thought you were asking me the character's name. I was like, I don't fucking know. I haven't seen the movie <laughs> in like ten years. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's headed by Kurt Russell. I think it's yeah, it's definitely the North Pole because there's Scandinavian men. I think they're from 
yeah, there's Norwegians in it, so I'm going to guess it's the Arctic. There's, and there's doing... six months of darkness in it, isn't there? That's yeah. So it is. So it is. Oh well, no, that's actually in both of the the, the Antarctica okay. and the. Never mind. Yeah, it's it's. Yeah. You're right. It's the North Pole. It is. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. And um, basically, what it ref- it begins with this Norwegian chopper with these two a, a Norwegian pilot and a, a Norwegian passenger with a gun trying to shoot down a dog. And this dog comes through the American camp in the North Pole. The, the people are wondering, what the hell's going on? What the hell's going on? And the people, the Norwegians, are going crazy trying to kill this dog. And they're shooting madly. And the Americans think they're shooting at them. Like, they think these guys have got cabin fever. And they're, like, after escaping. And they're they're basically insane. Like, why would you try to shoot a dog? The dog doesn't seem to be, like, rabid or anything like that. So the dog runs in and hides under the table. But these men keep trying to shoot. So eventually they get their own guns and shoot the Norwegian chopper down. And it turns out that this dog was essentially the last remaining remnant of an alien life form that had attacked their camp. And these Norwegians had, I should also say spoiler alert, probably for anyone who wants <laughs> well, to watch yeah. it. So this is, anyway, this is only the beginning. So anyway, Yeah, um, don't, don't ruin the whole movie. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. And uh, so basically the Norwegians had isolated this alien into this last life form. They were trying to kill it to get rid of it. It found its way into the American camp. But the strange property of this alien was that when it encountered a new species, it acquired the ability to replicate that species and to maintain other species or to uh, yeah maintain other species within its repertoire of things it can change into. This is a true so, story we should mention. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I just think as far as aliens go, that sort of touches into one of the more interesting types of alien that isn't necessarily an anthropomorphism. It isn't like a human-esque sort of creature a la signs, a la most other uh, Hollywood movies about aliens and that if you really want to watch a good movie this Halloween about aliens, watch the thing. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I was really hoping you'd spin that. If you really want to watch a good movie this Halloween, watch Halloween. But when you're done, watch the thing, because <laughs> that's also good. <laughs> but um, <clears throat> yeah, the it's it's also a really clever filmmaking technique to make your alien human. <laughs> or, or like, you know, make your alien have the ability to become human, because you then don't have to worry about special effects and things like <laughs> yeah. that so um it, yeah like, i i really like uh cloverfield um i haven't seen it i've heard so many good things yeah so if you don't like uh shaky cam then don't watch it because you will get sick everywhere while you're watching it okay but um i really really like it it's 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 very simple it's a, a giant monster movie which i don't think we have enough of because i think godzilla's awesome um, yeah stuff like that but yeah uh, did you see we're getting the japanese godzilla no i didn't yeah, apparently it's like been like I don't know sailing through the box office over there, so they're gonna bring it out over here. That's fucking great. That's yeah. Great. Sorry, continue. Did you watch the most recent Godzilla? Was that the one with Jamiroquai? Uh, no. That's... <laughs> <laughs> Have you been living under a rock? I just woke up from a deep sleep. Uh... <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Jamiroquai. Yeah, going underground is a good song. <laughs> um... By the Jam, not by him. What was his one called? Oh, his... yeah, I think it was going. Yeah, I, I see. I see what he did there. <laughs> um, yeah. So, and that's not even the best jam song. That's that's the that's the thing about the jam. Actually, yeah, my favorite jam song is probably "Down in the Tube Station at Midnight." I haven't heard it. Well, I have, but I don't know it offhand. Um, Poetically, I think that that's uh, Paul Weller's best masterpiece. Is that the one about a town called Malice? <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yes. 
<laughs> Excellent. I know it. It's very good. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I, wa- I wanted to talk about Cloverfield, but then I realized that to actually um, talk about all the things I liked about it, I would be giving away sort of a lot of the fun of watching it. But it's, yeah. it's very good because it seems realistic the whole way through, and you're following from the point of view of a person who's recording it on camera, and I really like that aspect of it. I think that's really good, especially from the era that it's in, because it's just the right time where you wouldn't have everything on a phone. Like, yeah. you know, it, it could only be made in 2008 at the very latest. But yeah. um, I really like the movie. I really like the whole viral uh, marketing campaign behind it and that kind of thing. I, I just think yeah, yeah I remember all that. Yeah, yeah, th- that ties into the actual movie very, very well. But I, I don't want to say how because I'd rather people watched it and figured it out for themselves. Deadly, so. deadly. Um, but yeah, very good movie, worth watching. And also yeah. not a typical, you know, grey, <laughs> big eyes <Yeah. laughs> humanoid. So that's important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I'll have to check it out. Um, are we going to talk about Predator? Yeah, I think um, Predator as a movie is like one of the best alien movies ever, like the original. Arnold Schwarzenegger in the jungle, like just man versus alien. It's just so fucking cool. It's so, it's probably the most testosterone there's been in a movie since the, well, until the Fast and Furious movies, possibly. Uh, Yeah, yeah. Just the scene where, at the very start, when Arnold Schwarzenegger and his other fellow military macho man, and like they're looking at each other, and there's all this tension, and like you're yeah. wondering when they're gonna fuck, um, and <laughs> then they turn out to be best friends. <laughs> yeah, that yeah, always yeah. sticks in my mind as such a fucking weird scene. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. And they have that like insane arm wrestle. Yeah, yeah. It's like oh, it's so cool. It's so eighties. Like, how can we show that they're friends? Yeah, but yeah. But that and they're men. <laughs> exactly. And he was in Rocky, wasn't he? Yeah, I think he was, yeah. He was like one of the main guys to beat Rocky Balboa. His name was Hulk Hogan, I believe. <laughs> <laughs> John Cena, no? Yeah, John Cena. <laughs> yeah, I didn't see him much, though. But... If John Cena was in Predator, he would be the one that beats the Predator. <laughs> he, he would take a beating this is a wrestling joke that only wrestling nerds will get but he, he'd take a beating for the whole movie and then just hit him with an F5 and pin him and then it would be over that's that's how it's <laughs> used to go for about 10 years there but, yeah um, yeah <laughs> yeah. The, the Predator thing's really interesting because we talked about um, how alien movies are a representation of cultural fears and the Predator movie is like people with dreadlocks are terrifying <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. so here's this here's this Predator yeah but, um, yeah and, and it also represented cultural appropriation on a galactic Scale. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> terrific movie, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, um, but I know um, it is great though. Like, and I, I, what, I, what I thought was also incredible was on two sides of sort of the same coin. So the first side was that Predator sort of possessed these crazy technological advancements, like it basically turn itself invisible, had incredible stealth camouflage, incredible weaponry. Yeah. But then at the other side of that, then when Arnold Schwarzenegger fell down the waterfall into the water, climbed up through the mud, and he had the mud covering him. Yeah. That overcame the alien's ability to perceive it. Yeah. Which I thought was an amazing sort of flip. He's kind of, um, all his uh, technology short-circuited, and he was left without it, and then it just showed kind of how technology can, in fact, hamper us when it's not around. For sure, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Along the same the... lines of what we said about how difficult it would be to build society back up from scratch, I think, like we came from people who went and hunted and shit like that but if 
Like, I mean, if the internet stopped existing, I don't think I would be able to live <laughs> in yeah. that world. Never mind losing things like electricity and groceries. Yeah, yeah. I think if the internet stopped, I would just, <laughs> like, completely yeah. uh, devolve back into... But, like, me and you are, like, two healthy people. Imagine if we were just transported back to hunter-gatherer times and, t- like, shown what... Like, there's no way we could cope and manage. Even Not though, like, a we're... chance. Yeah. So, like, it, like, in a way, we've sort of devolved alongside kind of all this technological advancement. Yeah. But, yeah, it's it's fascinating. I'd like to record an episode about that because, um, have you heard of the Flynn effect? Um, The name rings a bell, but you should describe it. So it's it's this idea that every generation's IQ goes up by 10 points, I think it is. Ah, yes, yeah, yeah, Um, yeah. So we get smarter and smarter and smarter. um, And I think that's a great, like, neat little thing to know, a little factoid that we're so much smarter than people in the 1930s. But if you take away the, you know, Google in our pocket, like what, how smart yeah. are we really? So uh, Yeah, and on top of that, I actually think, so basically our, our hippocampus is the part of the brain that's associated with long-term potentiation, which is basically a neuronal feature that causes memories to form. So it's my, I actually believe that because we have information so readily accessible external to our brains, the fact that we don't need to remember everything because we have smartphones, I think that our brains are actually becoming lazier and lazier. Yeah, and that's, that we're... Um, that's a common uh, school of thought at the moment, too. Yeah. Um, I read a blog on how stuff works about that, and it made a really, really strong case for that being a fact. And I remember for the week after, I was like, all right, I don't need Google for anything. And then, I mean, it was futile. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It lasts an hour. <laughs> when you're in the pub arguing with your friend, like, you can't just leave that to, <laughs> oh, we'll agree to disagree. Like, no, we fucking won't. We'll find out right now. <laughs> I will show you how wrong you are. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and but, Google will be my ally. But if you're wrong, you just keep scrolling and say, ah, oh, it's not on Google. <laughs> yeah, 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 totally. Pray that the other guy is, isn't bothered enough to Google it. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Here, let me buy you another pint. You yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally. that, that is pretty much what happens. Um, yeah. I'm just gonna do it. I'm just gonna quickly consult my IMDb watch list to see if I can find, um, or not my watch list, but the movies that I've rated, to cool. see if I can find a um, one that I my ratings. Um, hmm. Because there was one I was gonna say, but it, to say it would actually be a spoiler. Okay. Uh, oh, I actually really liked Oblivion. Have you seen that? No, I haven't seen Oblivion. Okay, it's um, not very good, but <laughs> it's futuristic. It, it ticks all the boxes that I... Like, you know how if a movie is bad, it's just a bad movie, right? But if that same movie takes place in space, it's automatically like a 7 out of 10. because. <laughs> so um, Oblivion oh. is futuristic. That's a box ticked. Um, it has really nice visuals of what it imagines the future to be like, um, which is a box ticked. It's got really mm. cool technology. That's a box. And it's mm. got Tom Cruise, which is like four boxes because <laughs> he should be in every movie. He's one of the greatest. Yeah, he should. He is. Yeah. But um, I really liked Oblivion because, it again, I can't actually explain most of the things that I liked because it would spoil it. But mm. it's it's visually stunning and it has... a couple of twists in there that will make you go like ah so um (laughs) i'd I'd just recommend checking it out because that's like the minimum i expect from my movies it's just yeah yeah. that's what i have you ever seen a movie called monsters 
It's directed by Gareth Edwards. It's his first ever movie, and it... oh, then of course I know it. I know the directors of every movie. You know what? Actually, he's the guy who directed that Godzilla movie that you completely forgot existed. <laughs> 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 this he made a movie called Monsters on a budget of a hundred thousand dollars, and it's literally the reason why they made him the director of Godzilla. Amazing. Yeah, he got like an eighty million budget for Godzilla or something like that, based off Jesus. of one movie that he had. Um, but it, it's it's so good, um, and it's not your typical alien movie at all. Um, the aliens in it are very clearly like almost like reptilian. Um, mm. They're of varying sizes. They lay eggs on the earth that glow as they grow on trees and things like that. Um, but mm. the story is of a reporter who is in Mexico. And I guess it's sort of symbolizing Mexican migrants into the U.S. or something like that because it's okay. chaotic down there and the aliens have taken over everything and the military are trying to fight them off. Mm. And this journalist, his uh, boss phones him and asks him to get his daughter out of the country. So he meets up with the boss's daughter and the two of them try and make their way back to um, the safety of, like, the american side of the border because obviously the american military is well obviously just because america is better than the rest of the world um in of Hollywood. course of course so um it's such a good movie it's just a beautiful sort of um scenic journey through an area that you wouldn't ever picture to be the the foreground of like an alien sort of themed movie cool, yeah yeah and the way it addresses the issue of alien life and and things like that does it in a very profound way like it's it's very fearful but also respectful um they're not aliens that can do amazing things or anything like that i don't actually remember how specifically they wound up on earth it wasn't via spacecraft as far as i know but it's just a really really nice movie that i think is one you'd like to watch once a year because it makes you feel a certain way so yeah um, that's one it, it doesn't present terrifying aliens as such it's more about the emotion shown between the two characters but it's a really neat world i think that they created for it and i i really like cool. that movie yeah yeah, yeah. Um, do you have any more? Um, movies? Yeah. I think the the alien from the actual Ridley Scott Alien oh, and Aliens. Oh, yeah, of course. I think they're really cool. Um, didn't he decide the alien would uh, go through the stomach because he had a really bad stomach infection or something like that? Oh, wow, cool, or, or, didn't know that. I think there was also something in there where he wanted to replicate the pain of pregnancy, something like that. But, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, it's 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 a really... That's another one that I haven't... I need to rewatch Alien, I need to rewatch uh, The Thing. That's... Yeah. Those are the main take-homes from this podcast. And make sure as well, yeah, and, and don't just watch Alien. M my favourite one is actually the second one, Aliens. Yeah, a lot of people say that, actually. Yeah, it's, it's sort of like... It's like Alien, but on steroids. It's just like a cooler more badass version of the first one sort of like the what, first one what terminator 2 is the terminator 1 exactly nice. yeah it literally is or what joy division joy division's closer is to unknown pleasures i really but, thought um, you were gonna say for some reason i thought you were gonna say what uh, new order is to joy division i was gonna be like hold on just a minute <laughs> yeah no not a hope but anyway yeah so the alien <laughs> the aliens in ridley scott's alien are called xenomorphs and what i think is really cool about them is just kind of not only how badass they are, but how just different they are to kind of regular aliens. Like, they're just so unique. They lay eggs. They have acid for blood. They have a mouth within a mouth. 
they have different subtypes of aliens. Like they have the queen. It's very sort of, I, I guess it's sort of insect. Yeah, yeah. But like, yeah, as far as aliens go, like they would literally destroy us in. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Like there wouldn't even need to be that many of them, and they could easily take over planet Earth. Like it's just so. And Sigourney Weaver, as a female lead, is like one of the most badass actresses ever. I I hate that they don't make badass female leads like that anymore. They just make them like super overpowered. If you know what I mean. Like yeah, yeah. There's so much depth to Sarah Connor that is completely yeah. lacking in like modern cinema. Like modern cinema is like alright, we have a problem, there's not enough female leads, alright, well then we'll put this woman here and make her super strong and able to do everything. And or just... we just make her a man who a woman is acting as, you know what I mean, like, let's make a male but put a woman as the lead role, or whatever. Completely, like the, yeah. Like, there's so many good ways to make incredible female leads that just isn't being utilised. That's what they did in um, Lethal Weapon, they were like, alright, we need uh, more black guys, alright, so we've got a black guy and a white guy, but the white guy is going to play the black guy. Like, yeah. Danny Glover's character is going to live in, like, a four-bedroom house and, like, ultimately yeah. be a white person. And yeah, <laughs> it, yeah. it's so, like, it's such an obvious thing that they're doing. But, like, yeah, hey, yeah, it sells. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't think they're intentionally racist or sexist. It's just, it sells. Yeah, that's yeah. what it is. It's capitalism and that's how it works. So. Exactly. And they're appealing to a target audience who are going to yeah. pay their money and, yeah, spend their money. Yeah. But, um, yeah, like, Sarah Connor's... We were just talking about Terminator. Yeah, like such a cool female lead. I wonder, is it the fact that they don't feel they have the same actresses? Because like you're going back into the 80s here. Yeah, yeah. Completely. Where like things were a lot different. Like, you know what I mean? Like, Plus, uh, Linda Hamilton, I think, is the woman who played Sarah Connor. And yeah. she's a certified badass in real life. Is she? Um, yeah. I, I, I read somewhere, and it's not on her Wikipedia page, but her Wikipedia page is not very well um, filled in at all. So... Um, I read somewhere that she had training with the Israeli military. Cool. So, as like, I read a huge um, biography on her in maybe it was an Empire magazine. I used to buy that when I was like twelve. Um, but <laughs> she is like a full-on complete badass in real yeah. life. Yeah, um, I like remember she was doing like the pull-ups and everything in Terminator yeah. Two, and she's absolutely ripped. I wouldn't be surprised. That at any of that yeah she's an absolute badass when she when she first uh confronts the guy who was uh the the warden of the mental hospital yeah. or whatever he is um and she breaks his arm and like pins it up against his back and he goes you broke my arm and she goes there are 215 bones in the human body that's <laughs> one of them it's so fucking good yeah like, no like seriously seriously what a character so good. yeah and uh or like Sigourney Weaver's like famous line, "Get away from her, you bitch!" Yeah. Talking to the female alien about Newt, like it's just so fucking good. And like if you think about it, like you could interpret Aliens, the second one, as like a mother-daughter like story, yeah, yeah, surrounded by all this other context, and it still works incredibly well. Yeah, there's like barely any mother-daughter story, or even father-daughter exactly. stories. Yeah, like yeah, in, yeah. In yeah, it's no, always totally. father-son. But I can't remember the last time there was sort of a natural female protagonist who was badass, who wasn't just a man and who was like feminine. Like, I, I don't know. I, I think femininity gets a bad rep. It's like, oh, no, femininity, blah, blah, blah. But like you can be feminine and badass. Yeah. Even like guys aren't feminine. Like it's something that's. I don't, yeah, yeah, yeah. Even like the the troubled, like even like the 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 feminine looking guys, like Ryan Gosling, 
they're not in touch with their femininity. They're just troubled and sort of, yeah. um, what's the word? Um, like taken away from society kind of like they're very, yeah. uh, I, I guess introverted in some way. Like yeah. they, they can't just have, like they can never cry or anything like that. And I, th- I think that's really weird that we've just been like, nah, like guys can't cry. And yeah. now women can't cry either. So yeah. tough women can't cry. So like yeah. it's it's really yeah it's it's kind That's of so bizarre ridiculous. like what perception of humanity Hollywood is showing us like yeah and yeah. And, it, and it does harm both sexes like I th- I think a lot of people think that I'm a turbocharged third wave feminist um, <laughs> or what did like uh, beta cook is the new thing I see people or saying? feminazi beta yeah feminazi yeah. yeah 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 but um I I don't think either sex is accurately portrayed like ever anymore like yeah yeah and and well have they ever been i don't know i mean yeah i think i'm a lot like arnold schwarzenegger's character in predator (laughs) i think that's a part of the problem though is where we try and assume that a male character represents maleness yeah yeah exactly as opposed to just being himself yeah, completely. Like, we think that, yeah, I think that's part of the problem as well, is that we expect female or male protagonists to represent their respective genders. Yeah, which is quite a leap when you're exactly. taking but it, into it, account it's, the It's not only a leap to do it, but to expect it just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I, yeah, I do think you're right. Yeah. Um, so, I guess we're done, uh, but I want to, in the spirit of Halloween scare everyone to death um because we did consider the idea that aliens are all around us and if anyone were to know about that it would be experts in some field am i right yeah so um we're gonna listen to a really scary phone call from a radio talk show in 1997, syndicated talk show host art bell received a frantic call from a man claiming to have worked in area 51 The call does not appear to be a hoax. (laughs) Instead, it has an eerie sound of truth. The call was immediately knocked off the air. Could it be that the government or the aliens silenced him to keep the people from knowing their plans? Almost certainly, I would say. You be the judge. Online, you're on the air. Hello. Hello, Art. Yes. Hi. Um, I I don't have a whole lot of uh, time. Um... Well, look, let's begin by finding out whether you're using this line properly or not. Uh, Area 51. Yeah, um, that's right. Were you an employee or are you now? Uh, I, a former employee. Former um, employee. I, I, I was let go on a medical discharge about a week ago, and and <laughs> I, I've kind of been running a, across the country. Um, oh, man, I don't know where to start. They're, uh, they're, they're going to... Um, they'll triangulate on this position really, really soon. So um, you can't spend a lot of time on the phone, so give us something quick. Okay, um, um, okay, what, what we're thinking of as, as aliens are, they're, uh, they're, they're extra-dimensional beings that an earlier precursor of the, um, space program made contact with. Uh, they they are not what they claim to be. Uh, they have infiltrated a lot of uh, uh, a lot of aspects of, of of the military establishment, particularly the Area 51. Uh, the, the disasters that are coming, they 
the military, I'm sorry, the, the government knows about them. And there's a lot of safe areas in this world that they could begin moving the population to now aren't. But they're not look, doing, they're not doing anything. They are not. They want the major population centers wiped out so that the, the few that are left will be more easily controllable. Discharge. <laughs> Did a talk show that dealt with like heavy like conspiracy related stuff. Yeah, and yeah. that makes me think negatively of him. Like yeah, it, it, like if, if that if nowadays that happened on like the Alex Jones show, I'd be like, well, that's clearly fake. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I think the cultural context is kind of necessary, but at the yeah. same time, in 1997, you didn't have the internet or well you did but not like as widespread or as fast as it is now so maybe that was just where people who see aliens <laughs> went yeah 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 but uh um, yeah, i know it's so weird yeah i mean i definitely believe that in his head that was all happening yeah yeah but but that's it exactly like yeah so um it's I just, so weird. Yeah, it is. It's really fucking... It's so freaky as well, the fact that there's no closure or there's no resolution. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, like, I, the whole system going off air thing... Like, what the hell was that about? Yeah, so I don't think that that was done deliberately by the station um, to try and give credence to this idea, because I think that that would be radio suicide to put yourself off the air, especially in a time where radio superiority was like really exactly 
because everyone would just change the channel. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like you, you don't want radio silence on your station. That's pretty much exactly. the, the one thing that you can't afford to do. So I think that was genuine. Um, yeah. But would the government be like, all right, that's enough. Let's cut the power to the... I mean, could they even do that, like, conceivably? I don't know. I guess the triangulation of your man's output could be done in the time. Like, he was talking for about a minute, at least, I think. Yeah. Or more. Yeah. Yeah. So weird. Pretty fucked up. I remember the first time I heard that was, like, uh, oh, Jesus, five years ago or so. And I was in the house for myself for the week, and... It's a good time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Really fun. Um, I hate I hate that freaky shit when you're by yourself. Yeah, I know, yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, I guess uh, we'll leave the episode there and say happy Halloween and keep watching the skies. Keep watching the skis. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Um, yeah, so th- thanks for coming back. No problem. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no worries. So that was our spacey aliens episode. I really hope that you guys enjoyed it. It was so fun to record and so fun to do the research for because I learned so much both during the research and during the conversation. Um, that's, I don't know, I just, I really hope that you guys liked the episode. We're ending with a song called Cosmic Gravity by Laura Brem, who is a YouTube artist. It's B-R-E-H-M. And she's fucking awesome, to be honest. I downloaded her album about two years ago, I think. And I really like it. There's something about this song that's, um, I don't know, it's, it's magical in some way. It makes me think about space and, like, space travel and, like, this innate desire to want to travel to other planets with advanced civilizations and stuff. I think in many ways there's this sort of 
feeling in me that I was born in the wrong time and not in like a 12 year old who goes onto a 1970s rock song YouTube page and says I wish I was born in the 70s like I wish I was born in like the 70,000s or something um I don't know I just feel very much like I belong to a distant star far far away um so that was just a stream of consciousness I didn't plan on saying any of that but the the song itself and her music uh, makes me want to travel to another galaxy and I think that's probably the highest praise I could give to a song but it's not the only song of hers that makes me feel that way so I would recommend checking out her music um, you can buy the album that this song is off uh, on Bandcamp and you can pay whatever you want for it so if you want to be a cheapskate you can get it for like a dollar or whatever I think I paid like $8.99 or something I decided some arbitrary number $8.99 even though you pick your own thing and that's a psychological price that like a store will put on a good but anyway, uh, I don't know why I just ramble as soon as I have a microphone turned on. Being a podcaster has turned me into such an awful person. Anyway, we will see you guys next week for more podcasts. We're going to have an episode about movie villains uh, between me and Lucemore and an unnamed guest who you have never heard before. So uh, really looking forward to that. It's going to be a really good episode and I hope you guys enjoy that. Hope you guys enjoyed this. If you did, leave a like and do all of that stuff. I need to find a way to stop talking. So I'm just going to say, fuck this. Fuck this.